Welcome back to the Video Store Junkies podcast, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. And tonight we're back in the video store to continue our discussion about a series we've actually been talking about for a little while now. We survived the night, dawn, and day long enough to see a literal land of the dead, but tonight we're going back to the roots. And that's because after land, George Romero wanted to return to the night it all started and try out what was for him an entirely new filmmaking style. Agencies are reporting accounts of the dead returning to life. What's that? What was that? You can't talk about it. What is this about, Jason? This turns out to be a big thing. I just want to record it. This sort of failure, like a major Look. Looks hurt. He's all burned up. The problem doesn't seem to be that people are waking up dead. Dead people are waking up. It's not going down! Shoot in the head! No, no, please! They're not getting the truth from anybody else. All that news is a pack of lies. Of dealing with That's right. Tonight we're talking about Diary of the Dead. And we've all been writing in our own diaries about what we think about this movie, so I'm actually really excited to hear everyone's thoughts on this one. I'm Zachary Edgerton, and I'm joined tonight by a group of people who give deadheads a whole new meaning. Before we start, let's just go around and briefly introduce ourselves and talk a little bit about our background with this film. When did we first experience it? You know, what does it mean to us, if anything? Just to kind of give a baseline for our discussion. And let's start with a guy who we actually haven't heard from for a little while because he wasn't on our last few episodes. I think it's been, I think the last episode we released with you was maybe Day of the Dead back in August. So, yeah. Paul, who are you? Well, you just assumed I was talking about you. No, I was talking about <laughs> Bill. No, I'm just kidding. I was talking about you, Paul. Yeah. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, give us a baseline for uh, what this film kind of means to you? Well, uh, I'm Paul Cardulo, and what it means to me, gee, good question. I think that's what we'll be getting at tonight, because the first time I saw it was just a few days ago. Um, I remember when it came out, and at that point I was starting to get a bit of uh, zombie fatigue, and uh, so I, I wasn't, even though it was Romero, I was like, uh, and I heard some mixed things about it. I'm like, well, I'll catch it at some point. And that same point, didn't arrive till just a few days ago, and then I'll I'll keep my cards close to my vest for the rest of this until we get into the discussion on oh what boy. it means to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually kind of interested to hear uh, what you think about this one, seeing it now versus when it was released. So yeah, that's going to be interesting and fun to talk about. Uh, speaking of interesting and fun, Bill, why don't you why don't you go next and introduce <laughs> yourself and uh, kind of tell us tell us what this movie means to you. Uh, Bill Mulligan, um, a high school science teacher, filmmaker, podcaster, jack of all trades, master of none, big longtime Romero fan. I mean, I've always said Night of the Living Dead is possibly my favorite movie because it's been so influential in my whole life, really. It's just what really turned me into a horror fan and a zombie fan and everything else. So, of course, George Romero, if he's making zombie movies, I'm going to be watching them. Um, that doesn't mean I have to love it which I don't, but I was, when it was available to be seen, I saw it. I, I'm trying to remember. I, I did not see it in the theater. I'm trying to remember, did it even play much in the theater? If it did, it, I wasn't. It a, it, yeah, it, it got a very, minimal. very limited release. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't in a place where it would have been playing, I don't think. So as soon as it came out on DVD or videotape, whichever it was, um, I had it and, and got to see it. So that's my relationship with it. And I'm trying to remember when 
when it was that I saw George Romero at one of the horror conventions, the one in Paul, were you there for that one? Yeah, that was that was at horrifying. Horrifying in horrifying. Yeah, Zach, you were there too, weren't you? Yeah, (laughs) I I was there as well. (laughs) I could see why you could forget me, though. I I do not remember. Yeah, that's a good question. That must have been probably 2008, 2009, around there, right? So Diary had already come out? I feel like like it would have been, yeah. Well, I didn't bring it up with him. (laughs) Probably for the best. Probably for the best. Well, let's move on to one of my favorite co-hosts, because we've been talking about zombies a whole lot lately on another podcast that we'll talk about at the end of the show but renee why don't you introduce yourself and kind of kind of give us give us a thumbnail of what this movie means to you oh boy my name is renee st aubin and uh i had no prior relationship with this movie and i feel like i still don't have a relationship with this movie um yeah it it was a very brief encounter and it (laughs) did did not leave me wanting more (laughs) the old the old one night stand if you will yeah yeah yeah. Very, very brief. That's my that's my sad relationship with this movie. Um, I, <laughs> I, you know, when we talked a little bit earlier, I was thinking in my mind that he was a had a co writer, and then when we were reviewing the notes, or when I was reviewing the notes, rather, I saw that it was just him, and it made me sad. So. Yeah, maybe maybe he should have had a co writer on this one, but we'll get into that maybe <laughs> a yeah. little bit. So yeah, like I said at the top of the show, I'm Zachary Edgerton, and I gotta say, I have seen this movie twice. I've seen this movie, I saw this movie when it came out on DVD, which was, I guess, you know, mid, probably mid to late 2008. And then I watched it for a second time this week for this podcast. So that kind of tells you, and I, I, as I've mentioned on the other episodes, if you haven't listened to our coverage of the last four movies, you can go ahead and listen to that anytime. You can stop this podcast and go back and kind of catch up, or you can just listen to them later. But I, you know, Night and Dawn are two of my favorite movies of all time. So, and I've seen both of those literally dozens of times. So that should, that should tell you a little bit about probably how I feel about this movie, but we'll get into that shortly. So let's move on. And unless anyone else has any introductions to make, I think we can probably move on to the history of this movie. And I don't have a ton of material, so I'll just kind of go over a couple of things that I have and then see if anyone has anything else. But so from what I could find, I think the the kind of origin of this movie was actually kind of coincided with shooting Land of the Dead, because I, I actually have just a couple of quotes here from Romero about kind of why he made this movie and why it is kind of what it is. So he had a quote that I thought was kind of interesting. And I think, Paul, you'll appreciate this one. Uh, in reference to Land of the Dead, he said, when I looked at Land of the Dead, it seemed so big. It was Thunderdome, and I didn't know where to go from there. Uh, he actually talked. He actually mentioned <laughs> Thunderdome a few times, <laughs> a sequel, a sequel that was out of place in the series. So Paul that, hates that, Thunderdome. For those oh, it, it 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 actually ties into something I, I messaged Renee while watching. This. <laughs> oh boy, save that. So nice, nice. Yeah. So a couple other things he had to say that uh, I I pulled all these quotes out of interviews that he did around the time this movie came out. So just for reference, I said, I did have an idea and that idea came even before we started to shoot Land of the Dead. I was stunned by the effects of the emerging media and how everybody was getting sucked in, not only as viewers, but as reporters. And he also mentioned there's a book called uh, Book of the Dead, which is a pretty good book. I think it was published in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, I want to say, maybe a little bit later. I actually didn't look it up, but it's a great book. It has a bunch of short stories by a bunch of writers uh, like Stephen King, Ramsey Campbell, a bunch of other horror writers. And he also mentioned that. 
because he kind of mentioned liking the idea of having kind of a bunch of vignettes uh, about the zombie apocalypse. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. So uh, he also had one other quote uh, about uh, this was an interview where he was talking about kind of the idea behind the movie. Uh, he said, it's about the media. There used to be three lies when there were three networks. The, the, there were three lies. Now there's 400,000 bloggers and there are 400,000 potential lies. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I think there I think there are a lot of things in this movie that were, I don't know, I think the intent was kind of interesting. I don't know about the execution, but he definitely had some some interesting ideas kind of going into this. So like we talked about on the last episode, Land had come out in 2005 didn't do great but it did it i guess i think it turned a little bit of a profit and it mm-hmm. i guess made its money back so uh I, I think that that kind of led to someone being willing to give him what was i think at like an eighth of the budget for land so this one was considerably cheaper but it still mm-hmm. cost a few million bucks to make but so yeah that's kind of all i have just in terms of like where he was coming from and why he made this one and it's also probably worth pointing out that the I think the shortest the shortest uh, distance between previously between the Living Dead films, I guess, was seven years, right? Because between Dawn and Day, and then it was 20 years between Day and Land. And then it was only like two years between Land and this one. So he kind of, I guess he, he was after Land, he kind of decided he had more things to say about the zombie genre. So anyways, I'm going to open up to you guys. Does anyone else have anything else? Do they want to talk about the kind of history or background of this film that you may have dug up before we move on? I, I don't really know. I, yeah, I don't really know any any real history. I just always got yeah. the sense that with Romero, and I think maybe you just sort of embraced it at the end because what choice do you have? It's just that's all people want from him were zombie stories. And, and he was capable of doing others, and he did some others, but they just weren't as successful. He, he, he it's a rare thing where a director gets typecast usually it's an actor or an actress that gets typecast but i think he definitely you know he could do other things but he was always an outsider so that was going to make it difficult with hollywood they were always going to be a little reluctant to throw money at him when he you know was determined to do things his way and so he really didn't have much choice but if he was going to keep on making movies and he made them up pretty much to the end uh, it was going to have to do zombie stuff. The the question then is, what do you do? How you know why why do you do it? What's the what's the goal of this? And it's clear with this one that he was going to make, uh, as he often did, a political statement. And Renee hit on something. He needed a co-writer because <laughs> he was a great guy. He was a sweet guy, and and he had that boyish uh, charm to the very end. But he was an old man. And this just sort of reminded me of like in the 1960s when Easy Rider hit and they're like, oh, youth, that's what we got to do. We got to make youth movies. Let's let Otto Preminger make a movie. And Otto Preminger is like 99 years old. And, and he makes a youth movie about LSD with Carol Channing and Groucho Marx. It's like if your grandmother was given money to, to movie about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, it would. this is what it would look like. It's, it's just this is not what you do. These are the wrong people for this story. Knew you were going to bring uh, up Skidoo. Don't disparage Skidoo. It's a great film. That's right. Who who had it? Who had it at fourteen minutes into this? uh, Skidoo. Oh my god. Yeah. How long before I bring up Ron Jeremy? Right. Yeah. Uh, Oh. And apparently. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just yeah. You know, uh, this is this is a movie about you know millennials versus zombies, 
and by someone who is neither. Um, I don't well, know. I think something is that a zombie? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he could be now. Um, oh boy. <laughs> too soon. But uh, yeah. the, actually, something you you mentioned, Zach, you mentioned a quote where you said he want, pictured a, a series of vignettes about, and that's what this. I mean, there was. I was like trying to think back. What's the plot? Yeah. What they're they're yeah. driving around and like, uh, and it's it's like what happens? Well, um, hmm. What's the overarching story? Um, hmm. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. What's name the narrative memor- drive? You're right. Yeah, there's a couple little. I was like. <sighs> I was going to say there's nothing memorable, but then I looked back at the notes, but then if I had to look at the notes to figure out something that was memorable, is it memorable? Yeah. So, um, (laughs) yeah, there's a, there's a couple neat little things, but then, yeah, it just, it seemed like it was just disconnected. It was, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It didn't, you know, it was the the laughing of zombie films, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of funny you mentioned Bill because he does mention in a lot of these interviews from around the time this movie came out that, I think he was kind of resigned to the fact that at this point in his career, he actually couldn't really get money to make anything that wasn't a zombie movie, but he did know that he could still get money just based on the fact that he was the guy who had basically co-created the zombie genre. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of reserved to it. It's kind of funny because this is like, he actually lived long enough to see his, the thing that he had kind of helped create become kind of this kind of pop culture phenomenon because, you know, this was this was around the time, I mean, obviously the Resident Evil games were big, uh, the Resident Evil, I guess around this time that, that, you know, that that franchise had been out for like 10 years, the Dawn of the Dead remake, which I think he was maybe a little bit bitter about, but that had mm-hmm. come out in 2004, made a ton of money. So this was really around the time, and this was even before The Walking Dead came out and got really big, the TV show, although the comic was yeah. out, so... Yeah, he was he was very aware that there were all these things, and obviously every single interviewer asked him about the zombies, and he was like, "Yeah, I, you know," he was always very polite about it. But basically, I think his response was always like, "I actually don't really care about what other people are doing with the zombies. Like, I'll make my movies because that's what I can make, and I'll can I can find something to say." But he actually didn't really care necessarily what other people were doing with the genre at the time. But yeah, so. If we want to move on, if no one else has anything about the background of this movie, I will say one other thing. It's kind of funny because in a in a in a sense, and I don't want to pick on him because I actually think he published or he wrote a lot of good stuff in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. But in a way, George Romero actually reminds me of another creator that he was very good friends with. He kind of reminds me of Stephen King in a way, because. You know, when King mm-hmm. was like young and hungry and he was doing a lot of stuff in the like 70s and the 80s and he had a, obviously like a lot of raw talent and a lot of originality. And he was also like writing as someone who was, you know, in their 30s or 40s in that time. And then when he got a little bit older, he was still trying to make stuff that was like culturally relevant or he was still right. trying to make he was still trying to write those because he's really big on like pop culture references and he was still trying to write those pop culture references but you could always tell that he had been like, hey, hey, uh, Joe, hey, Owen, those are his sons. Uh, what's What bands are popular right now? Because it was obviously like, like oh my God. it had kind of gotten away from him. I, I love a lot of the stuff that he wrote in the 2000s. So I, 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 do, I do love it. I do love it when someone does something like that because they usually get it wrong. And it's like, 
I was driving down the road and the Pixies were playing on the radio. It's like, okay, dude, listen, the Pixies never played on the radio. That's that's one of the great atrocities of history is that nobody knew there was a thing called the Pixies until they pretty much broken up. They never played on any radio until the internet was invented. So shut up. You're not yeah. cool. Well, college stations, college stations. Yeah, well, oh, oh, well, that'll last about five minutes. If you find a good college station, true. you need to just start driving in circles because otherwise it's going to be gone. <laughs> it's very true. So, so yeah, I think we can move on to our next section if we would like to. And we always break these episodes up into a couple of different sections. And I think we're going to do the same thing this time. We're going to talk about the living, which is where we just talk about mm. the characters and the cast and all that stuff. And then we're going to talk about the dead, where we can talk about zombies. And it's always kind of interesting because at this point, you know, he had been making zombie films for 40 years. And we kind of like to discuss how the idea of zombies in his universe has changed. You know, what's different? What's been, has anything been updated? Are there any new rules or anything like that? And then we're going to do something that I guess we can call the Diary of Romero as our final section. And that's just going to be anything else we want to mention, any odds and ends, any behind the scenes, or if we want to talk about any of the other people kind of involved with making the film. So let's dive right into it. And for the living, I actually want to try a little bit of an experiment here. So if everyone can, please... Huh. Just just close out of your minimize your your notes real quick. If you have like yeah, an IMDb yeah. page up, just close right. it all just real quick. Okay, just, <laughs> just don't look I, I know where you're going. You know yeah. where I'm going with this. Hey, yep. uh, okay. So Paul, can you name one of the characters from Diary of the Dead? Um, their 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 character's actual name. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's see. Um, th there was there was cut rate Peter Lawford. Oh wait, no, that doesn't. That doesn't. That's yeah. not a character name. Um, was it Samuel? Was that the? Was that the you, Amish guy? Yes, Samuel. Oh my god! Literally the most memorable person in the movie. It was Samuel. That's the only guy. Otherwise, it okay. was like, yeah, I had like my notes are like you know, bad accent Texas girl. Yeah. Uh, uh, the one who edits it, the yeah. film guy, the kind of football playerish guy. Uh, guy who never and... takes off his mummy costume uh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> well bill we can speak firsthand how hard it is to get those on and off oh well yeah but you know you think he would have been like a, like a day point. or two hadn't it <laughs> it'd been like right. a day or so. there yeah, was uh, so... drunk there was drunky mick englishman he was there yeah um i know the other character i do i he didn't i don't think he had a name in the script but george buzza i was excited when i saw george buzza in there so that there, there's that who's george buzza yeah. oh no we're gonna george talk about buzza. George buzza. yeah we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to we'll him, get to I'll, him. I'll, okay. I'll paul explain why he's so important but yeah um... okay i no without without looking at this i'm pretty sure that the main douchebag was jason yeah yeah. Oh, okay. hey. you, you do remember and, one. That sounds character. vaguely familiar. And and, and it's amazing because I at this point in my life I have a memory like a sieve, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that the main girl. Well, now I'm not sure. Maybe I'm thinking of the annoying Texan girl. Was yeah. there a Deborah? There was a Deborah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, everyone could. Was that the annoying that Texan girl? girl? No, no. She was the main. She was the narrator. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Deborah was Deborah the was the okay. narrator. Yeah. Well, yeah. she was irritating too. And yeah, and well, Jason, Jason, the main. Wait, you said Jason, the main douchebag. Was that? Was that? Was that? Um. Um. The director. Uh, mummy. Mum. Oh. No. No. It yeah. Was the camera guy. Yeah. The, the guy the camera. with the camera. The yeah. main. Oh, okay. Jason yeah, right. I think he had, I, he had like a personality. 
okay. Yeah. 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 He had a personality. He he would like you know instead of like helping his friend, hey, there's a zombie coming toward oh. you. It's like let me frame this shot so that like, it looks pretty. Oh, like that's the true. Okay. Not crossing the 180 degree rule because that would <laughs> screw things up. Okay. Yeah. No, he qualifies as a douchebag. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was, was the worst. <laughs> so, that so, is true. I was like, uh, boy, you're not helping that. But see, that's a commentary, Bill. It's a commentary on how how but the you know, news media the, will watch and not interfere during an, an event. Y- you know, one thing when when he died, when he died, there was a second there where I felt bad because I had not seen his stupid face for so long because he's always behind the camera that I forgot who it was. I thought maybe it was a new character who didn't deserve this. But then it's like, oh no, that's Jason. Yay! So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Renee, do you do you remember anybody, Renee? Well, I was I only remember Jason too, and that's mostly just because everybody was yelling at him all the time. That's, like, Jason, yeah. put down the camera, Jason! Jason, Jason oh my god! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Jason, yeah, that was the only one. Yeah. yeah. So, so this this experiment, obviously, you, you guys <laughs> understand why I asked because <laughs> yeah, when I was taking notes, I was like, I actually probably yeah. would not be able to name a single character in this movie. Now, granted, no. I'm really bad about remembering names just in general, but. If I think back to like every single other dead living dead movie, I can name at least one character. Some of the movies I can name all the characters, but so yeah, uh, this, this movie, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start dumping on it a little bit. And I do want to say at the top though, (laughs) we're going to talk about some of these actors and their characters. Like some of these actors are actually like, I, 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 I do kind of feel like the script is to blame Mm -hmm. because when I went and looked at some of these actors, I was like, Oh wait, this person has been in something that I really liked them in, but they were just kind of totally forgettable and uh, were awful in this movie. So I think, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to talk a little bit about that. So I don't know, I guess out of all those characters, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Paul. Oh, one of the things that I'd read about the actors is supposedly cast people who at that point were primarily had primarily had stage experience because you wanted to do it in longer takes. So that that could be at that point they were fairly early in their film career. Also, it could be I hate to say this, it could be the direction, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that they that they got. So. I, I blame the script. I mean, I don't think yeah. a genius could have made much out of this. Yeah. Um, I know, but, but I mean, you know come on, it... cut right Peter yeah. Lawford's. I can do. You know, oh, who is? Like, I mean, <laughs> I just come on. That's uh, he was that that was that's the professor. If you couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it was like what. Was, he was, was putting, yeah. I'm sure that's not his real accent, but um, yeah. But yeah, Zach, you're you're so right though, because it's like, you know, okay, that's not entirely fair. It's like, no, no, okay, without even looking, neither living dead. Uh, obviously, Barbara, Johnny, yeah. Ben, Ben, yeah. Henry, and Helen, uh, and their daughter Karen, Tom and Judy. I mean, like, you know, these people are ingrained. that Each one of them was a distinctive character. Not all of yeah. them were great actors. Oh, what? oh <laughs> very true. Yeah. But they all they all went something to that movie. And it, yeah, that was actually funny because yeah. we, we kind of talked about that on the on the very first episode when we talked about night. Like some of the people, one of the guys, I mean, he wasn't even an actor. He was a musician. He went on to be a chiropractor, but hmm. and he's not great in the movie, but he is like memorable. There is something about him that's memorable and that yeah. everything about this movie just seems a little bit forgettable to me. But we'll, I guess, get into it and see if uh, see if you guys are agreed or I don't know. Maybe it sounds like we are, but we'll see if there's any disagreement. But it's going to be that. tricky because you're going to yell out. So what did you think about this character? And we're all going to like, OK, tell me who, who what they did. Yeah, uh, well, I was actually going to say I was actually going to open it up and say out of all those characters that no one could remember their names. Uh, who do you guys want to talk about? Uh, the Amish guy. 
Yeah, Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. I would have followed a movie about him. He was over the top and fun, and boy, he went out like a baller. I've, all, I've always said, if the zombies ever do rise up, the people I'm going to talk to, um, members of Society for Creative Anachronism, and Amish. And I think they would work very well together because really uh, the rest of us are well and truly screwed. But yeah, the, the fact that this Amish guy shows up and, and he's deaf, which, you know, which makes him like, oh, they, yeah, because at first he's kind of like making that sound and everyone's like, oh, he's a zombie, but he's not. They could have accidentally shot him. But he was, of all the characters they met, he was, you know, the nicest and you know, he kind of got taken out stupidly. I. I get annoyed watching these movies where people kind of forget there are hungry, bloodthirsty creatures that like to attack the soft parts of your body, like your neck and your upper arm and everything. And, and that, that's why I almost stood up and cheered watching World War Z, where Brad Pitt like starts wrapping magazines around his arms. I'm like, yes, yeah. yes, finally, someone who gets it. If you don't have a, a you know knight in shining armor outfit lying around improvise cardboard they're, they're just teeth they're just human teeth on human jaws they can't really get through too many things although in these movies <laughs> they do so just just to, just to go off on a tangent when they get into the house and they're you know they find mom and we know she's a zombie because she lifts up like dad's hand mm -hmm. that she's gnawing on his hand and at this point i am so taken out of the movie that i'm thinking to myself which you know you really shouldn't be thinking these sort of things it's like why do they always do that like the zombies are able to rip off limbs and stuff, which you just can't do. And I, and I challenge the listeners to try this. Buy yourself a nice oh, big oh. ham, like the kind of ham that has <laughs> bones you. in it I'm, that can kind of move around. And then pick up the ham. And I know that maybe you don't want to have people around at dinner when you're doing this. Start gnawing <laughs> on it, in it right where the joint is and see how long it takes you to get down to where the bones are. And then with your feeble strength, see if you can rip it apart. And I guarantee you can't. You know, I've got to, like, break out a hacksaw to get these <laughs> things apart. But zombies somehow get this stupid strength where they can just rip open your guts and yank your arm off and do all these things that they, they just really they have no do. sense of they have no sense of pain. And so they can overexert themselves. They don't feel the buildup of lactic acid in their 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 uh, muscles when they've they've overexerted themselves. Yeah, so I mean that that jolt of adrenaline would be good if they weren't all just so slow and stupid. And that, that's another thing. This movie, this movie. Yeah, is, wait, wait till we get to the, the zombie. I, 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 let me wait till we get to the zombies. I'll crit critique right. the zombies later. Yeah. Um. No, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh. So Amish guy. What was Samuel? Yeah, liked him. He came and went too fast. But I understand because if he were in the rest of the movie, that's all we'd be paying attention to. And we, you know, we were supposed to be paying attention to the narrator and the, the you know pithy little yeah. observation she was making instead you were like yeah the message just shut up more samuel yeah well i, I think part Samuel's of it also though it kind of highlights that 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 vignette nature of the film i mean yes. there's no it doesn't <laughs> yeah, really yeah. necessarily move the story forward it doesn't really you could leave it in take it out you could put it in a different spot in the film and it really wouldn't make a that is absolutely true and that's pretty much most of the scenes. I mean, you could, you know, do a William S. Burroughs things and cut it up and paste it together. And it <laughs> wow. makes just as much sense. Yeah. Probably. And yeah. It, it would actually it would actually be in keeping with the logic of the film, which is that we're supposed to believe that this film is pieced together from the stuff that they had. And I never bought that for a minute. I think well, see, that's actually, the fundamental problem with the film. That that's actually what I was gonna say. I was gonna say sort of the opposite. I was gonna say 
you know, the film, when you watch it, go, wow, this is cheap. It's amateurish. It is like mm -hmm. amateurish acting. The editing's kind of crap. It's kind of, it's got some stock footage thrown in. Oh, wait, it's supposed to be a film put together by a film student, shot by a film student with, you know, people who, it, when they're at least supposed to be acting, are supposed to be amateur actors anyway. So maybe it's brilliantly done, and really, it's <laughs> he's he absolutely captures what it's supposed to be, and that's why it's such such a mess. And just they do and have I, to have a lot of just oh yeah, they happen to have a lot of coverage though that. Uh... And that's that's fair. That's fair. But the the film is neither fish. I was kind of joking. It doesn't. Though. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, especially. By the time this film came out, I have a feeling that stuff, I mean, Blair Witch and Cloverfield and others had shown in Chronicle showed how you could really do it right. And this one doesn't feel right to me. And then, of course, I mean, they, they did put that in there. It's like I added some sound effects and music to, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. Every now and then there was just something where this is too obviously well edited to have been a random bunch of shots, including ones that we just, uh, you know, got off the cloud or whatever, you know, that we just, because <laughs> they were being projected. Ah, eh, it just didn't work for me. The the, the premise of it, I, I'm, I have a love-hate relationship with found footage movies. I generally don't like them, but when they're done well, I love them. And the ones I mentioned, Chronicle, Blair Witch, and um, Cloverfield, I love. Yeah, so I, I wanted it, to love this one. Well, it, it is, it is, it is probably worth mentioning that Romero mentioned, or well, people brought Clover, uh, not Clover. Well, they brought Cloverfield, but uh, Blair Witch up a lot because there hadn't been a ton of big found footage movies. Because remember, this actually came out. This was in production when Cloverfield came out. So because oh. I thought Cloverfield yeah. came out in two thousand eight. Did this come out in two thousand seven? Uh, no. Well, no. Clover was it? Cloverfield was two thousand eight, but this came out. I mean, this was in production when uh, Cloverfield, uh, or sorry, this was released in 2007, like at a film festival. It was like wide in 2008. Uh, okay. So yeah, I guess I guess Cloverfield. I guess at the time he was doing press, Cloverfield had just came out actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So and he, I, I think, in all the interviews, he mentions that like he hadn't actually seen it, but he did mention Blair Witch a lot. And his thing about Blair Witch and the reason that he kind of did use a cinematographer for this, and he didn't just have the actors shoot everything was he he thought that Blair Witch was just too much of a mess and too disorienting and basically nausea inducing so he did want this to kind of look a little more like an actual film and not just like oh, a bunch of people with shaky cameras so and I mean and it fits within the story because the guy is supposed to be a, a film student so he's supposed to at least yeah. have some semblance of of how to shoot stuff but yeah yeah no I mean I was I was again I was just kind of partially riffing and making kind of a joke because when i was watching i'm like wow this is like an amateurish film and i'm like oh wait <laughs> yeah. it's supposed to be uh but anyway back to back to the living the characters right yeah because well that, that was so memorable we keep okay, around around because to, we can't say anything well let's go well, to let's jump to, to douchebag well, mummy yeah before we do that I did, <laughs> I did just want to mention that uh samuel who oddly enough is actually credited as farmer in the in the credits uh, was actually played by R.D. Reed, and that's just kind of notable because he was actually in the Dawn of the Dead remake. He was one of the people who comes in oh. on the truck. Uh, his character name was Gwen. I didn't remember that, but so I thought that was kind of interesting. So, and uh, unfortunately, he passed away in 2017. But I will oh. say, you know, his legacy lives on as one of the only good mm -hmm. parts of this movie. So, right. 
Yeah, I think I think my my biggest problem I think I love I, I love him in this movie, but I think my biggest problem with this is like at this it this whole section feels like it's not even a vignette. It feels like Romero's like doing bits. And it's like yeah. which would be great if yeah. this was supposed to be a comedy, but like the whole shot where he, you know, he he blows the zombies up and then as the guts are raining down, he holds up the sign that says, "Hi, I'm Samuel." I mean, that's funny, but it's also yeah. totally yeah. Yes. not appropriate. For and, and, and doesn't someone have a line there? I thought the Amish was supposed to be nice yeah. or something. Yeah. It's a funny bit. It is. It is actually it's one of the only laugh out loud moments I had. Um, but also, again, and I, sh I should be more invested in the film that I don't care. But Dynamite would not, in fact, do that. And <laughs> just, right. You know, it would not vaporize these zombies into little tiny bite sized chunks. Uh, Maybe just, these are older zombies that were fairly well rotted. No, because yeah, because unless I mean, zombies, yeah. unless the zombies heroically jumped onto the dynamite one after another to protect their friends, <laughs> which would have been great, and it was like, whoa, maybe we're the bad guys. Yeah, but no, that didn't happen. So in, interesting that we started off with literally the most inconsequential character in the entire film. Yeah, <laughs> and yet the, everyone. So the most inconsequential character is everyone's favorite. Yeah, um, I liked him. I liked. Um, uh, I liked, uh, I actually enjoyed the brief introduction of the guys who would be in the next movie, the, the National Guard guys, just because he, he was a good actor and he, he relayed the menace real well, um, starting out all friendly and everything. And, and the, uh, it seems like everybody's getting stuff from friends. Can we be yeah. friends? I mean, you know, it's just that little touch of villainy there and everything. So that was fun, but he was there for a heartbeat. Yeah, um, you're, you're referring to Alan Van Spraying as he's credited in this film as Colonel. Uh, he was actually, a, he had a small role in Land of the Dead. We talked about that in the last episode. And yeah, I think that's the first time that a character has ever actually come back in one of these movies huh. because he is playing the same character in Survival of the Dead. If you don't count Machete coming back as a zombie. In yeah, right, I was just going to just gonna say. Mm. Yeah. Actually, he, he was, yeah, and that, that's actually kind of funny be, that you mentioned him because I did have him as one of the people that I was like, yeah, this this guy is actually one of the few people that pulls off a good performance in this film, and he's only in there for like a single scene, which there are a couple of other actors I actually feel the same way about. So okay, so who's George? Yeah, let's who's talk about Buzz Booza or Buzza. But I was pronounced George Buzza, but you know it could be George Buzza. I don't know. He was, I think, his creditor is was a biker. He's the yeah. guy that huh. that when she goes back to her apartment. It's there just for like, I guess it's for a jump scare. I'm not really sure. Well, it's not apartment. It's a dorm, right? And yeah. it's there really for a jump scare. You're supposed to think it's a zombie, but it's a guy like stealing shit. Oh, and yeah. Like, Everybody's oh, okay. gone. Yeah. 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 And I was like, like, holy shit, it's George Buzza. I mainly know George <laughs> Buzza from the the great and wonderful Family Channel TV series, Maniac Mansion, where he played six-year-old child Turner. Oh, of of the yeah of the Edison family who's who by the way his older brother and sister are named Ike and Tina yeah oh it, Maniac Mansion was a series based very 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 loosely on the Lucas Arts uh, point and click adventure game Maniac Mansion but not really and starred uh, Joe Flaherty and had uh, and it was uh, executive written or executive produced by um, Eugene Levy. Yeah, it's, it was pretty damn amazing, is all I can say. Hmm. And George, and like I said, George Buzz, who I think was a 40 at the time, played their six-year-old uh, son, uh, Turner, who had been mutated to be that big in the same accident that transplanted his uncle's Harry's head onto a fly. So, yeah, wow. there you go. Yeah. 
So I actually, I actually <laughs> recognize him from something entirely different, and I actually didn't recognize him at all. I actually did not recognize his face. But as soon as he talked, I was like, I know that voice. And lo and behold, I, I definitely, he has a very memorable voice. And he's done a lot of voice work, including the role of Hank McCoy, a.k.a. Beast, on the 90s X-Men TV series, which uh, he's really great in. And oh, he wow. also had, yeah, he also had a cameo. I, I don't know if this is because of his work on that or just because he's a Canadian actor, but he had a uh, cameo in the, X, the 2000 X-Men movie as well. So. Ah, in Maniac Mansion, he talked like this. So it was a little hard oh, to recognize his yeah. voice. <laughs> so you recognize his voice, I recognize his face. Yeah. Or, yeah, or the, vice versa. Cool. Well, he was uh, fine, too, uh, yeah. for the seven seconds he was there. So. Yeah. I loved yeah. I, he, was, he was probably, like, if I had to pick out a single favorite scene of this movie, it would actually be him. Because I love his, like, what are you doing? I'm just stealing shit, but what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> oh, man. I, a cow in a girl's dormitory. Security! Yeah. 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 Oh, got me through the, the film for a bit, though. So I was like, yeah. oh, cool. Maybe George yeah. Muscle will show back up. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. got me through. We hold on to what we can. <laughs> yeah. Renee, did you find anybody memorable or anyone you wanted to talk about? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, good night, everyone. The, the, yeah, good night. The narrator was just horrendous and she drove yes. me crazy. Oh, she was um, so irritating. Yeah, really, just really, really bad. Yeah, of um, course, we were talking about Michelle Morgan as Deborah, who hopefully she's not listening to this podcast. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, I, yeah. Like, here's the thing. I hate voiceovers in movies. I hate yes, narration in yes. movies. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to do narration, like, unless you're Terrence Malick, you probably shouldn't try it because you're not going to get a good voiceover from an actor. And yeah, this just kind of proves that point, unfortunately. No, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's true. And I don't think that necessarily she's a bad actress or anything. The, the words were not inspired. And. Mm -hmm the way she delivered it was probably the way she was supposed to deliver it in that kind of world weary kind of, it just reminded me of like my least favorite narration in the history of narration, which was uh, Harrison Ford and Blade Runner, you know, where, where oh my God. I, rumor has it, he was <laughs> deliberately doing it bad. So they would cut it out and they, they fixed him. They left it in. So sushi. it's sushi. That's what my ex-wife called me. Cold fish. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what they actually it's yeah. been so yes, long but... since I watched the version with the voiceover. Yeah. That, uh, oh, same, yeah. yeah. As soon as he got some clout, Ridley Scott chopped that right out. Um, but I, I, again, yeah, I think it's, you know, we got to give her a, a bit of a, a break also because yeah. I, I think that actually does tie, you know, it fits in perfectly. The form is supposed to be. It's a, it's it's part of the fiction of the movie, it, the, the metafiction of it, which is that it is a a film that this this college student put together in, under duress in this in this you know in the in the the panic room with found footage that she you know literally footage she downloaded off the internet and what little footage she could get off of this little footage all the coverage they had uh and and it was it was the earnestness of somebody in their early 20s see you know trying to trying to make something deeper than it really was and see that's that's it's that's the whole point man so it was brilliant it was utterly <laughs> brilliant man I'm, I'm getting convinced now that this. this was a masterpiece. That's it. That's it. If I say it enough, if I say it enough, yeah, I might right. believe it. 
you're gonna by the Maybe. end of the podcast, you're actually gonna bring us all around to believing that this is actually right, a, right, a yeah, celebrated masterpiece. And then I'll just yeah. laugh and go, "You moron, nah, no way!" Psych. Ah. Yeah, actually, you know what? You know, for some reason, this just popped into my head when you. I thought you were gonna refer to something else, Bill. This did not occur to me, but it also her voiceover for some reason kind of reminds me just a little bit of. Uh, uh, oh my god, I'm totally blanking on her name. Sarah Connor's <laughs> voiceover in T2. Because she yeah. has that kind of like world weary kind of yeah. tone to her. Only she's a really good actress. Oh my God, why can't I think of her name? Linda Hamilton. So Linda yeah, Hamilton. but uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Renee, do you have any comments on her? I know we all kind of cut you off to dogpile on what you were saying, but <laughs> no, that's okay because I really don't care because I still stand by what I said. Her delivery was terrible, and <laughs> mm-hmm. even if he was like, no, make it worse. Like, what do you think? <laughs> you think he was standing around being like, no. Be more boring or yeah. be more droll. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not giving her any credit. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. How many times did she use the line or some variation of, if it's not on camera, it's not real? Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I feel like they said that like three or four times and it was good the first and only time. And after that, it's like, we get it. Is that going to be on the poster? Yeah. Well, yeah. Was, yeah. was that the line? What, what was the line she ended with? Because when when she did that, I was like, "Oh my god!" Oh, it reminds me I was of Bill's comments about Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust. I wonder who the real cannibals are. Yeah. So, you know, are we worth saving? Yeah, are or we something? worth saving? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was. You. I was like, holy Listen. shit! But see, remember, Bill used to always just say that that the end of Cannibal Holocaust reminded you of something like some some college filmmakers would do, yes. thinking they're very yes. deep. And see that again. Uh-huh. It's it's brilliantly written see it's supposed oh, to be that's a commentary mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's just utter garbage so <laughs> i think you guys you guys touched on it i think last uh, when you guys were talking about land of the dead i think bill you had said something about the biggest problem was when somebody convinced romero that he always had to be, that he was socially relevant yeah. you know and I, I think that's just him trying to do it and it's like oh man come oh, on. No, look there's some cool ideas in this and and you know nobody hates the media more than i do and and <laughs> I thought I thought one of the cool True bits folks. that was just yeah one of the cool things that just sort of got mentioned and left I love the part where they're watching the initial the footage that started the whole thing with the um, you know, immigrant family is shot and everything and then they show that it's been re-edited to to you know kind of take oh they weren't zombies at all it's like they died when we shot you know whatever and George Romero is actually there playing the cop I think I think that's where we yeah. see him yeah that yeah, was he's pretty cool because. I totally believe that that would happen if this were, there were elements of this, you know, especially with COVID and all the paranoia and craziness going on and everything that I totally believe this, that people would be doing what they did in this movie and the government would do whatever it took to cover up, including editing things and take, you know, yeah, that, that's a cool idea. They could have done some more with that. The, the, but the, 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 that's not the story he wanted to tell. I mean, it might've been interesting to see a story of how the early response to the uh, zombie epidemic, but that would be a big picture. And he was trying to tell a small one and that's well, fine, well, but I didn't really believe these people. These people never really gave me the sense that they were, you know, as shocked as I think everyone, but the four of us would be if there really was a zombie <laughs> apocalypse. Whereas, you know, you and I, and I, we're kind of preparing for it, but, but most people, it would, there would be disbelief and, and, and shock and just, Except for the one, I think actually, let me give credit. I don't remember the name of the character. The girl who was driving the van ran over the zombies and then shot herself. 
Mm. But, you know, at least she showed some reaction there and, 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 and all. And actually, she also made a pretty good zombie. You know, she was sort of embracing the horror. Everyone else was either just, I don't know. I, they, it just didn't no, they took it too much it in their stride. Real. They took it too much in their stride. Yeah, when, when, like, they, like when they, they stop and she runs out, and they're all just kind of hanging around outside the like, like dude, they're, they're, you're seeing dead people walking around, and you're just hanging out outside the van while you know, I'm like, come on, right? Especially yeah. since this this takes place in a universe where zombie movies don't exist, because yeah. at no point does anyone say zombie or talk. You know, it's so that's that's always been kind of a conceit in the George Romero universe that. He doesn't, you know, this doesn't take place in a place where there used to be a blockbuster video that had nothing but a zombie section. So these people should be reacting more to it. Yeah, oh, someone, someone asked him about that. And he even said, yeah, the, the, this is a universe where th this idea doesn't actually exist. And I, I actually, just real quick, speaking of getting political, I, I did want to mention, though, something. It's kind of funny watching this movie now versus yeah. when it was made, because I think that it's kind of interesting. Some of the things that he got right and also some of the things he got wrong. But I did think it was actually really funny because the scene where they edit it to kind of edit out the fact that they were coming back to life. If you watch that scene, that actually makes it way, way worse because that guy. <laughs> yes. No, no, it really does. Because that guy gets up off the gurney, tries to grab the woman. She pushes him away. And then the police just open fire on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is actually now if, if you're looking at this like in a modern light, then it's like, oh, man, this is actually a. A very like if if he did it would actually be like reversed and it would be like they would be editing it to be like oh the zombies are killing a bunch of people and then claiming that they were you know undead or whatever so <laughs> right, that was right. kind of funny yeah <laughs> so do we want to talk about for just a moment just because you mentioned her and even though I don't think there's really a whole lot to the character I just I did want to mention this as one of these actresses or one you know just actors that. I suspect that the, the script is responsible for a lot of these performances because this mm -hmm. is someone who actually went on to do and, and kind of, I think, I think got a lot of accolades for, for other roles, but uh, the, the character that you referred to was Mary. She's the one who's driving okay. and then shoots herself. And I, I, I could, I could actually, I, I knew that I recognized her. I was also just like in mm. the scene, I was like, she seems actually to be a little bit better of an actor than, than some of these other people. But uh, she was played by Tatiana Maslany. I'm probably mispronouncing that. But the, the reason I know that she's actually a pretty good actress is because she went on to star in a, a show I actually haven't watched a ton of, but I wa I've watched enough to know that she's really good in it. But uh, Orphan Black, where she oh, plays... Wow. Yeah, oh. she, she plays the, the main character in that show. And one of the reasons that show, that I think she gets a lot of accolades for that show, is she's basically playing like a bunch of different versions of the same, like, I think she's supposed oh, to be like a clone or something. But, right. So, but they've never, like, she hasn't like all, so she plays like all these different versions of, of this clone that all have like, are basically variations of this, you know, this person. Hmm. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, obviously she has some chops, obviously like what I've seen of that, I, I did like, and I was like, man, I would never in a million years have guessed that, you know, based on her performance in this movie that she'd ever go on to, be in something where she was, you know, she put on a that a performance like that. So I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, I just clicked on her. She's going to play She-Hulk. Yeah, yeah, she's going to be well, uh, cool. you know, Jennifer Walters in the new She-Hulk show. So, oh, well, yeah. good for her. She's never going to have to buy a dinner or a drink again for the rest of her life if she just yeah. spends her weekends at conventions now. Well, yeah, I don't know. I I feel. <laughs> I don't know. She probably probably have to have bodyguards there trying to keep the angry nerds away. You're like She-Hulk. You 
can't make a one. Uh, anyways, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of people like Stan Lee would turn in his grave if he saw that they were making She-Hulk, and then people point out that Stan Lee invented She-Hulk. But anyway, Stan Lee invented yeah. the She-Hulk. She, he did. Um, yeah. <laughs> so see, I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't really have a lot more to say about that character, but I just wanted to call out hmm. that yeah, she's actually a really good actress. And okay, even though it let's doesn't come through in this movie. Let's talk about Texan girl. I, I okay. don't know her name. Oh. If you held a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you what her name was. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel I, like. Yeah, I, I, does she did she have a name? Well, I don't um, know. Though that's the fun part is like they're so unmemorable. I can't even look at IMDb and say, "Oh, it's this actress," because I, yeah, I don't yeah. know like, one of them. Um, her name. Her, her Which name was Renee. Oh, oh, was it Tracy? Was that? Yeah, the... it was Tracy. She's played uh, by Amy Amy Lalonde. Yeah. Well, hmm. and again, I'm not criticizing her. It's not necessarily her fault. I feel like the accent kind of came and went. But who cares? It terrible character. But as bad as the character was and everything else, unforgivable that they start playing Yellow Road of Texas when she makes her goodbye. That was just like, oh, no. So yeah. bad. No, so bad. no, no, no. That's as bad as like if a Chinese character had shown up and they hit a gong or, oh, if, you know. Good. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it just it's it's just so come on guys you know i can't even remember does she, she gets away right does she doesn't yeah she just that's right presumably she <laughs> drives it all the way to texas like that yeah that's right uh, yeah I, I will i will point out it's kind of funny though because yeah that that character obviously is supposed to have a very strong texas accent and i didn't we haven't really gotten into the like kind of filming of this and i probably should have mentioned it up front but this movie was made in Canada. Almost all of these actors are Canadian. So she was a Canadian oh, well, actress. Yeah. <laughs> but, it takes Canadian. Place, but it takes place in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Though, yeah. Right? Yeah. So. This, this was, this was basically after when he made land of the dead, he realized because the filmmaking industry had kind of moved out of Pittsburgh and he actually moved to Toronto. He actually lived there. Uh, I think in the last decade of his life. So uh, this is kind of like the second trilogy of films was even though it was still kind of set in that area, it was all filmed in uh, mm. uh, in Canada. So wait, yeah. she wasn't really from Texas. I know, <sighs> I know, it's surprising. Wow, such a great so, so convincing. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, that that the whole setup at the very beginning. That's actually why I'm surprised she got away. I was like, oh yeah, she did get away because it was like such an obvious setup. Oh, you're gonna kill me. I'm gonna kill you someday. You're gonna kill me someday. And oh, and you're gonna pull my shirt, and my my boobs are gonna come out. You know. And then then what <laughs> happens? You know. And I was right. like, really, really? And that's the whole reason why the idiot still had his, his mummy outfit on, just so they could do that. Yeah. Oh, look, just it's so a callback to the beginning. And it's like, mm. uh, Oh, see, that's yeah. how a dead person walks. Ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba. Uh, I expected Ruth Buzzy to come out and hit somebody with a purse. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the, the opening scene is kind of uh, annoying, too, because obviously, like, Romero's trying to put in the, like, meta commentary about, because... This was like we like I said, this was after Dawn of the Dead, the remake had come out and he was very against the whole fast zombie thing. So yeah. to the point where he was putting commentary in this film about, you know, fast zombies versus slow zombies. So I, I that could have yeah. been clever, but honestly, I just found it to be annoying. Oh, it was it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much like uh, it was too spot. I don't know. Would you see it two on the nose? Is it just too? Yeah, it wasn't very well. I mean, subtlety was never this man's strong point. So yeah, no, no. let's be well, honest. We, we oh. love George. We all love George. But oh yeah, no, oh, yeah not, but he was not subtle. Yeah, and I, and I think that you know when he was making zombie movies that had some political content in them, that was fine. 
that this feels more like a political movie with zombies or less, not so much political but more social commentary social commentary yeah these kids today <laughs> do, do we do we actually want to move on to the character that it's kind of the centerpiece of a lot of this commentary and so i can talk for at length that, sure. about how annoying i think some of this commentary is but uh do we want to talk about joshua close as jason creed sure <laughs> great oh i guess do we need to okay uh, yeah, yeah no yeah, we, yeah. we do i i well i i do have to mention so this is actually another character or another actor that i never in a million years would have thought that he was a good actor after watching this movie. He is actually a good actor because he showed up in the first season of the Fargo TV series. I don't know if you guys have watched that, oh. but it's amazing. Uh, have you watched it, Bill? No, I haven't, but it's it's on okay. my list of things I got to get to. Yeah, so so when you watch that, check him out. He's Chaz Nygaard. He's Martin Freeman's like brother in the show. He is really, really good in the show. He's like kind of a really, really smarmy asshole character, but he's really good. And he was also in the master, so which I actually don't even mm. remember him in that. But hey, he got he he was in the master, which is an an amazing movie. But so yeah, I I mentioned that just to point out that yeah, once again, this is a guy that I've seen in something where I know that he has or that proves that he has acting chops, and not so much in this movie. So what do you guys have to say about Jason Creed? Well, I will just say with regards to all of these people. Like, this movie was, what, 2006 when it was filmed? And yeah. all these things that they're in was, like, 2010, 2012. So I would like to think that they've honed in a little on their craft over six or seven mm. years. Um, so, you know, something to consider. Um, I don't know. Jason was a douchebag, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I probably would have snatched the camera out of his hands and thrown it off a bridge. Because... <laughs> It's just obnoxious. He was just obnoxious. I would have snatched the camera and thrown him off the bridge. Cameras are hard Ooh, to come by. That's a good, I like that. Well, Even better. I, I actually, okay. So yeah, I, th that's actually kind of what I wanted to talk about because this is one of those things where watching the movie and Bill, you mentioned things that were kind of said over and over again. And I was, the more I watched the movie, the more I was like, why these people seem very offended by the fact that this guy is always filming, which I guess, you know, I understand a little bit because it's kind of annoying, especially when he's like trying to interview them or whatever, but they continue, like uh, they continuously make reference to the fact that not only like he's filming and they find that annoying, but also just like the fact that like, I don't know, they seem to be saying that do like being a documentarian somehow is inherently bad, which I thought was actually yeah. a really, really weird message. I, I have one quote that I wanted to call out. Uh, it's it's probably one of my least favorite lines in this movie, which tells you something. Hmm. But this kind of just to kind of like give you a sense of what this film thinks about people who I guess are documentarians or whatever. But uh, so the scene where they're in the hospital, and there's the scene where the the guy hmm. the one guy shoots. Uh, the the chick that that had shot herself because she turns and then he yeah. or, or no sorry I think it's the professor shoots yeah, shoots yeah. Uh, shoots her and then he hands the gun to someone and he says here take this it's too easy to use and then mm. there's the and then there's the scene where like a zombie comes out and starts attacking and they have to I think they like skewer him in the face with like the IV pole or whatever and Jason's shooting it but then Deborah is also shooting it because she found a camera conveniently as well and then mm -hmm. after that scene. She says she hands the camera to the professor and she says, here, take this. It's too easy to use. And then uh, I wrote down these lines. <laughs> they're so fucking ridiculous. Jason said, come on, oh. Deb, you used to shoot better than me. 
And she replies, yeah, that's why I stopped. I don't want to become you. And I was like, wait a minute, uh, what? There, okay, so first of all, let me point out, okay. there are people, wow. they're, 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 say, what you, say what you will about the media, and, and Bill will say a lot about the media, but yeah. there, it's very valid there are people who are documentarians or photojournalists or yeah. people who are there to actually like document and observe and report. And the fact that like this this film's not just Jason the character, but it seems to go out of its way to say like, "Ooh, you better be careful, or you might become the sort of person who wants to document things." Well, you know, I wonder if it's 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 Romero commenting basically on the experience he had when he did O.J. Simpson Juice on the Loose. You know, that was like uh, he didn't need you to shoot that documentary. And... That, that was to be fair. That, that was not a, that was not about OJ. That's not about OJ. That was before OJ Simpson was uh, in the media spotlight for other things. So well, still, still, maybe he knew. You know, maybe oh, this, but this maybe was done after. Clue. This after, oh. but he shot this after the fact. He's like, you know, if I hadn't shot yeah. that documentary of OJ Simpson, you know, maybe things would have been different. So maybe that's exactly. what it is. Zach, you are you are so on spot, Zach. Um, that, that line, I had blotted that line from my memory, yeah. and uh, it is perfect. It's terrible. For it, there's so many things wrong with it. First of all, I hate it when when writing is obviously writing. When characters say something that's too perfect, like you know, oh, what a great setup, and here's the punchline, zing. You know, those are not. That's not how things really work in life. In, in real life, it's three o'clock in the morning and you're awake and you're like, what I should have said was this. Oh, that would have been perfect. But yeah, that, that was dumb. And yeah, yeah, listen, I hate the media. I got nothing against genuine people who are out there in the trenches filming stuff, putting their lives on the line, which is what these folks were kind of doing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's 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 actually, you know, great. Yeah. What, what is she? It made no sense. It made no sense at all. And, and the why only is this is... guy giving? Oh, I don't know. Well, the, the yeah. only thing is, though, actually, in this case, yeah, there are there are. See, I, I guess the problem is in a film like this, the the individual represents the whole, right? He represents yeah, sure. all documentarians, all photojournalists, right. but he's an utter piece of shit that really <laughs> does it does deserve be the 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 um criticism that he gets because he does yeah. just sit there and just fucking film as pe as people he knows are being torn apart, and it's like. You right. piece of garbage. Though it is amazing. He seems to, you know, when he's using that camera, except at the very end, it makes zombies not see him because they're closer to him, but they just go right past, like you said, Bill, you know, observing the, yeah. the 180 rule and just perfectly <laughs> framed. Uh, you know, they go right past him and ignore him as if he wasn't there. So, and, and, uh, and again, he's a piece there's of an shit, Yeah. There's an idea here. I mean, I think we've all, we've all probably seen that horrible photo. I mean, it's one of the most famous pictures ever where, a, a young child in Africa starving to death is just like leaned over about to die. And there's a vulture, a fucking vulture standing right next to him waiting. And the photographer who took that picture, I think later killed himself because he got so much criticism on, on, on people like, you know, how could you film this? Why didn't you give the kid a sandwich or something? You know, would you, I, I, I'm pretty sure after he took the photo, they they did take care of this child or something. They didn't just, you know, wait for the vulture to start picking them apart. He got so much criticism. And it's like, but that photo made people aware of what was going on. You can't see it and not, if you have a soul, not yeah. want to do something. That's how these things work, you know? It's the... It, I mean, it's it's one thing if you're out there actually making it happen. If like he dragged this kid over, starved him for a week, and put a trained vulture next to him, but I'm pretty sure that's not what happened. I mean, he's 
he's showing what's happening and we get angry at him because he's showing an ugly truth. And yet, you know, at the same time, we do feel that, you know, at, at what point do you, by recording something passively, do you become part of the problem? I mean, these are interesting questions that could be brought up, but I don't think this was the movie to do it in. And if it was, the script was way too blunt an instrument to get the point across. Yeah, I think that's that's one of my main kind of criticisms of this movie. Reading the interviews and listening to the interviews with George Romero, he like if if I hadn't seen the movie and I had re- read those interviews and read about his intentions and what he wanted to say, I'd be like, that sounds like a great movie. I really want to watch that movie. But the execution is so weird and it doesn't actually seem to get across any things he's trying to say. You know, we, we talked about this on the last episode about Land of the Dead, where he was always about like, oh, yeah, it's all about the Bush administration and 9-11, terrorism <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff. And then I watched that movie and I'm like, I, I guess in a very broad sense, I can see some of that. But I don't like you have to tell me I, I would not get any of that out of that movie if you didn't tell me. And it's kind of the same with this one, because this was. You know, this was the first like post Katrina zombie film, and mm. he he mentions that a lot. He mentions obviously the Bush administration and all that stuff, and he even like I think some of the footage that he, some of the stock footage that he uses is, is even like from K- K- Katrina. But I don't get any of that out of this because it's just this weird. It's it's a combination of like uh, this mishmash of bits that don't really give me a broader sense of the world and then when he does try to do commentary it's kind of like blink and you miss it like the whole thing where he's playing the the chief and he's like lying and they're like oh they edited that footage yeah but there's i don't know there's no real connection to the broader like message that the movie is trying to convey so i don't know um does anyone else have any other thoughts on that I mean, yeah, I think unfortunately it just comes down to the, the the simple way to put it is it's just not well crafted. It's not a well crafted film. It you know it, it, if there's things he wanted to say, fine, but he didn't really say them. You know, he may say those. You know, it's there's there's no story to even if that could be forgivable if there was a story to pull you along. There is no story. Yeah, even yeah. There's, or if, there's, the, there's, if the characters were more compelling, right? Any one of those things would make the film at least that much. You know better but uh, it had none of that so. like if we're like if the jason character had started out not being so douchey and everything you know is just and and we we you know we get the sense that he's he's breaking apart he, this is his coping mechanism his only way to cope with this thing that he just can't believe is happening you know the dead rising and eating the living which is just mind-bogglingly insane uh, is, is to just film it all like he's trying to get away. I mean, in a way, he could have been portrayed as a sympathetic character. This is his, he's having a breakdown and this is how he's coping with it. But no, he starts out, eh, and he just, you know, continues that way. And, and everyone just, the whole movie is basically just people, you know, Jason, you suck. That's what it could have been the name of the movie. You know, Jason, you suck with zombies. Who are we following? Who's our, I'm sorry, I'm just saying, who's our main character? I, Okay, so I just watched another. I just watched another movie for another podcast. Andy Warhol's Dracula, which has got some <laughs> some interesting elements to it, but it's got one really fundamental promise that there is literally no one in this movie to root for. No one in. In fact, it's even worse. There's, there's no one in the movie you can really like. Maybe one minor character. There's no likable characters. Um, that's you know that that doesn't that doesn't really make for an involving 
movie for me it's just sort of you just sort of passively watch it and wait for them to all die yeah i think i think you you can have a film where where you don't have any likable characters but they have to be they have to be well well written characters and well acted characters yeah. so it, you still have an interest in them They're, you don't like them but they, you have well, an interest guess, I'm, I'm interested in give me a movie their... that has no likable characters Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, you put me on the spot there, Bill. But what yeah, I'm saying yeah, is, yeah, good, but there, there are ones where the main character certainly, like, or even series. Oh no, I'm like, fine. Look at, look hey, at, look at, look at. Thanos Breaking is Bad. the main character of Endgame. I mean, come right. on. But well, yeah, but I'm saying, you know, you look at you look at films like that. You can have characters that you that are despicable that that are the main character that are the focus, and it's fine. But the, sure. that doesn't even work here because the character it's it's not that he's not even just that he's a bad he's he's a piece of shit. It's He's he's a tissue. He's a tip. He's a tissue paper. That's a piece of shit. Yeah. If he was yeah. a solid three dimensional character, he's not yes, even one. Yeah. I mean, he's he's negative dimensions. I'm one hundred percent with you. You're right. Yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I I, I don't know. I, it's just he's he's yeah. There's not much there. That's why I was like, you're talking about him. Why? Nothing happened with him. Uh, you know. <laughs> and and you know, Deborah. The most likable thing about Deborah is that she doesn't like jason you know that she she calls out jason on his bullshit but okay in that sense i guess she's she's sort of like the person we're supposed to identify with but i didn't particularly like her either which is kind of funny because she's technically the one telling the story she's the one framing the narrative because the movie yeah. is actually a movie within a movie that she has kind of edited and finished so which kind yeah. of justifies everything that jason was doing yeah yeah exactly exactly she does decide to finish the movie at the end so I think I think the thing that was really kind of interesting watching this and seeing a movie that's all about the media, if you go back and watch Night and Dawn, I think the, the and kind of the shocking thing about this being so bad is he actually does a really good job of integrating believable or as believable as he can make it media in Night and Dawn. Because in Night, you know, they, they tune to the broadcast to get an idea of what's going on when they get the TV going and mm -hmm. you know, they have, you know, the people out there shooting zombies and stuff. And then they have the guys in Washington. And then obviously the beginning of Dawn is them in a, a, a TV station and, you know, no one knows what's going on. That's kind of the commentary is, you know, it's the media, it's the people who are supposed to be kind of calm and collected and telling you what's going on. And even they don't know what the hell's happening. So I think there are some kind of interesting uses of media in both those movies. I think it would have been maybe actually interesting since he kind of went back and he said that this was kind of, you know, it's it's always debatable whether it's set in the same universe, but assuming that it is, you know, he was kind of going back to the same time frame as night. So I, I honestly like watching yeah. this, I was thinking it would have been what if they had gone back because you see you see all that stuff framed in the newscasts in night. So what if they had gone back and actually, like, you had seen the other side of that, and these people were documenting the other side of that. And there was some sort of mm. twist where it wasn't actually, everything was not as it appeared in those newscasts or something. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Mm. You actually do, there is, there's a, um, they play the audio from the the newscast yeah. at one yeah. point in the background. So, but yeah, I, I like that idea, Zach, where you kind of, maybe the part where they're saying, look, yeah, we've got everything under control, where they're, shooting the, and then instead you see that no you you see like two seconds later they all get overrun but of course they're the people who kill them at the end but you know it's only the next day so right see if, if someone were to make this movie now i feel like there's a, there's a better movie to be made kind of along these premises where 
if the zombie epidemic were to happen now, how split everyone would become because social media and everything, you'd be, you'd have people insisting that it's happening and other people insisting that, you know, they're crazy for believing that. And then people deny once, once it became obvious it was happening, people denying that it was the same people who were the first ones to say it was happening would now be claiming it's a government conspiracy and blah, 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 all kinds, you know, there'd be so much information out there that people would be paralyzed on what to do as we've seen in real life, you know? Well, that's what I say. I, I haven't seen it, but uh, maybe you guys have. It's there's a film. It's on on Netflix. It's a uh, Don't Look Don't Up. Look up. Yeah. yeah, which is you know a giant meteor's headed towards Earth or something, and and basically people react the way they react to COVID. Um, yeah. Though I think it, it was it was probably written originally for uh, climate change. But it's it's a great it's a movie. Thing. It's very frustrating to watch though because it's a little bit too on the nose. But yeah, although it does have uh, it does feature a small role by uh, Robert Joy, who is in Land of the Dead. So. I thought you were going to say George Buzza. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. Oh, my God. I wish. Renee, do you have any thoughts on the overarching? I guess we've kind of used this uh, this section to talk about really the meat of the movie and why it doesn't work for us. Do you have any any thoughts on any of that? Sure. I think it was a hot mess. I think they were just trying (laughs) to fit in, like, everything. It it felt like they were trying to, like, took, like, three seasons of The Walking Dead and tried to put it into a movie. Like, we're going to have them like go into a hospital. We're going to have them encounter this group of bad guys. And then there's going to be the military group they encounter. And those are, oh, plot twists. Those are bad guys too. And just, it just felt like they were just doing way, way too much. And it felt a little too on the nose of the whole, you know, you know, I guess George and his like moral compass, you know, he wants to make his mm-hmm. statement. It felt very on the nose. It was, I think it was just a little bit. It's a little too much. A little too much for me. We're trashing this movie so much. Can I just say one good thing? You know, oh, absolutely. Again, I love <laughs> I love George Romero. I hate I hate not liking something he he did. There's mm-hmm. there's a couple of his movies I don't like. This is one. Bruiser's another. Um, George Romero is a really good action director. The action sequences in this movie are really well made, well done, especially considering the limitations. That he wasn't able to do his usual thing where he's you know he really is a good editor you know he couldn't do all the tricks that he would normally do because he, it's got to be realistic that this is all seen through people hand holding a limited number of cameras but i thought the the sequences were well done i'm not i'm not thrilled with the cgi stuff because they were a little too obviously cgi i prefer the practical that, that he was sort of famous for, but they were, they were okay for what they were. Some good ideas. Uh, the, the, ass, the, the zombie dissolving, his head dissolving in acid. Cool <laughs> idea. That's not how it would look at all. So it was very obvious. I think even to people who don't know how acid works, that this is not really happening. But it's it, a cool premise. I like the action. I've, I've always thought, and, and you know, it's crazy. He was actually briefly attached to a project for Marvel Comics called Copperhead. And yeah. I don't know what, uh, written by Jim Shooter, I, I don't know what ever happened to it. I don't know the premise or anything. I really think George Romero would have made a good superhero movie if he were still alive and younger and, you know, had the had the ability to do it. You know, they Marvel picked some interesting people to direct their movies. And they would never in a million years pick George Romero. But I think he would have made it a really, I think he could have made a very good superhero movie. I think he handles action very well. Hey, look, I'll take I'll take the Night Riders over the Avengers any days. Okay, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Well, is there? I I think I think we've I guess we kind of talked about the character a little bit, but 
Uh, yeah, so I guess that's that's us on Jason Creed. Is there anyone else we want to talk about at all? Well, should we talk about Mummy Boy? I'm not sure. Mummy Boy. Hmm. Mummy yeah. Boy had a yeah. name. What was it? Do we know? Do we? Yeah. 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 So so his name was Ridley, played by Philip Riccio. And I didn't have any notes on him because I actually thought he did an okay. I thought at the end, when he's kind of gone crazy, I actually thought his performance was decent. But uh, I don't think he's been in any. He's been in a bunch of Canadian shows and movies that I've not oh, heard poor of. Poor so. guy. Yeah. Well, he is Canadian, so you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what? Yeah. What do you got? What do you got to say about good old Ridley? Well, I mean, just you know, physically I mean, you good. Know, yeah, I mean, the character's written to be a douche, and he's sort of you know yeah. that that's that's except understandable. But the the whole he's still wearing the damn mummy costume just pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, he would have taken that off having recently worked on a mummy movie. Our mummy was, he got tired of it wearing it real quick. Oh yeah. And, and, and I, he I wore a like, long time. So he did. And, and yeah, I would also like to point out, and I don't mean to brag, our mummy looked better. Hmm. Yes. At most, least most by the end of the movie, it looked better in the beginning. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. And uh, by the end of the movie, about the sixth or seventh time we had to wrap up someone as a mummy. We had it down to to an art, but it's a mm. four hour horror, and you you know by the end of it, you've got an angry seven foot tall person who like you know get me out of this, and it's like <laughs> if we if we undo all the safety pins and unwrap you for the next two hours, we can save. It's like get me out, and like okay, I see where you're coming from. Get the scissors, <laughs> snip 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 snip. Time to go back to uh, you know Hobby Lobby and get some more uh, wrap. Yeah, but but yeah. you know. Yeah. Was cool. He was cool looking. I mean, toward the end when he was the, the the actual zombie mummy, and I've always maintained mummies are zombies. I, I I don't know why anyone ever gives me argument on this. Clear, incontrovertible fact that mummies are and have always been zombies. Thank you. Your silence is is all the essential. Well, well, I don't know. In the original mummy movie with with Karloff, he was really more what you'd say a revenant because he he had he was oh my God, he 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 was fully conscious and he was. <laughs> You know, and in fact, in in the the remake with uh, the 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 Brendan Fraser movies, the the mummy there is is more of a revenant because he's he's conscious and 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 functional. So, you know, unless you want to call a revenant a uh... <laughs> a revenant, no one ever uses the word revenant. Ever. I just did. I, you, well, I yes, do when I'm referring to the you. 2015 Leonardo DiCaprio film, The Revenant, which is a great right. movie. No, zo- <laughs> no, no zombies or mummies in it, though. So I was a little bit disappointed by that. No, but but there is a bear, a, a, an angry bear. There Frankly, was an angry, an angry bear. bear beats all the monsters you could come up with. True. So, yeah. Anything else we want to say about Ridley or Philip Riccio's performance or mummies? Actually, no. Strike that last one. Bill will talk for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it was, it was, it was, it was okay. I mean, it was. I don't know. It just it again, like the rest of the things in this film, it just didn't work for me. Um, and again, it seemed like it was all there just to set up, just so they yes. could have that that final. It was all just to set up for that final scene. And it's right. It, there was, and it was, it was not well done. Yeah, so. you could almost you could almost hear Alanis Morissette. Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? I mean, here we go. We <laughs> even even a... that she's Canadian. Yeah, she sure is. <laughs> even even that scene that was another example of something I felt like it could have been clever, but they even had to like have the character say like, "Oh, it's it's just like in your fucking movie." 
And I was like, oh, yeah. yes, because we wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. Like, the, like, the, yes, like anyone in the audience was like, oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> if there's anyone that's stupid, I mean, come on, yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, see, that indicates a lack of confidence in your audience. And George exactly. should know, yeah. we're with them. We're with them on this. Yeah. Come on, George. Well, there are a couple other actors and characters I wanted to call out. I'm just going to go down the list here, and you guys can tell me if you have anything to say about them. How about Sean Roberts as Tony? Does anyone have any clue who that is? Remind me. Yeah, you got to give us definitions. Yeah, you got to give us way more than that. He was he was the oh my god what what did he even do? He was the guy who was getting (laughs) mad at the beginning. He was not the nerdy guy or the guy that was with the Texas girl. I'm trying to remember anything that he did in this movie. Uh, Never mind. I don't know. I, I just wanted to yeah. mention him just because he's he's he he's mentionable because he was actually he had a small role in Land of the Dead and he comes back in this one. Uh, he also, uh, much like George Buzza or Buza or however you pronounce it, had a small role in the X Men movie as Rogue's boyfriend. And I also thought it was kind of funny because he mm. would go on to play Wesker in the Resident Evil movie series. That, uh, you know, not the new one, but the Bela Jovovich series. So I always thought that was kind of funny. I actually have a note that says, how many people in this group I really don't know because I don't really care? Is uh, I had a note in one of my yeah. notes. Yeah. <laughs> so he was one of those. He was just sort of that mm-hmm. that nebulous cloud of others in this. Yeah. I, I think I want to say he might actually be, does he survive? I want to say that he actually survives at the end, but I don't even remember. I, yeah, yeah I, don't I, I don't even like remember or care, but either way, did someone else, Bill, did you have someone no, you was, want to talk about? I was going to say, what, what about the guy who was the head of the group that was gathering all the stuff, hoarding all yeah. the, you know, gasoline and everything. The, the, he was more interesting than anyone yeah. we ended up following. And it was the one time I actually liked uh, Deborah was when she and him had their little standoff about whether, you know, they got the chapstick and all the gas. Yeah. Um, one of the yeah one of the few performances I kind of noted as as actually breaking through the script uh, that was for some reason he was just credited as stranger I guess his character didn't actually have a name but he was no, played by Martin yeah he's played by Martin Roach who's also been in a bunch of other stuff uh, that uh, he's really good in. he's in I don't know if you guys watched the expanse he's has a he's been in a couple mm. episodes of that which is a really great show and his character is great he's also in the lock and key TV show on Netflix. And he, he had a role. I actually, it's been a while since I watched it. So I didn't remember who he was, but apparently he was in the shape of water as well, but oh, well, yeah, hey. high, definitely a high point. I think he's, he's uh, his, you know, he's only in there for a few minutes, but his performance was definitely one of the, probably one of the best mm-hmm. ones. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was good. And it, but, and it, which is, and it's a good thing. It was good because when he first shows up, you're just like, that's eh, a George Romero movie and he's going to put a strong black character in there, but mm. It's just like he has a strong woman character, but it's probably not going to be served too well. But no, his his thing was was interesting. I mean, that was it was a touch of realism. I mean, this is someone who would actually exist in this world and, you know, maybe one of the ones might be able to make it. He's being smart. He's didn't he say he was in the National Guard. I think I think so, because I think he has the line where, yeah, they're they're talking about going somewhere and you know, or the, or the national guard helping. And he's like, eh, yeah, I I'm, I'm in the national guard. Uh, yeah. You know, I completely forgot about that entire sequence till you mentioned him. <laughs> I was like, huh? I'm like, Oh yeah, there was that sequence. Okay. And, and the other thing about that, that's where, you know, the people, you know, they realize this is when they first realize that uh, if you die for any reason, you become a zombie. Right. Which 
is a pretty again you know on top of all these mind-blowing things which you know again these characters are not acting like they're enduring what they're enduring okay so the dead are coming back to life okay mind blown the dead are trying to eat you okay that's that's upping the ante oh and by the way if you die for any reason which one day you will you will become one of these things so literally every every night when you close your eyes and go to sleep you have to hope that all the people you're with who are within easy biting distance don't have a heart attack or a brain aneurysm yeah. or you know shoot themselves in the heart or something because they're going to come back for you i generally Ooh. wish that anyway i generally wish that that people around me don't <laughs> die yeah. in the middle of the night anyway but yeah, yeah having, having the fact that they would then eat me afterwards would would yeah, yeah. Listen, listen, i i am i also like most normal people don't don't want anyone around me to die because it would make me feel sad but not nearly as sad as i would feel if after they died they came back as a ravenous uh you know hunger demon that is you know biting my neck turning me into one of them i mean it just that can to me that's always been one of the unspoken things about walking dead and the romero verse and everything is how does society function when every single person is a loaded gun that will go off will definitely go off you don't know when you don't know where it's aimed but it's going to go off how do you not just go running off into the woods and try to live by yourself which doesn't work you know you the only the only people who will survive in this apocalypse are people like the stranger who have leadership qualities and are fundamentally good people, but willing to break the rules if that's what it takes to survive in a world where you got to break the rules if you're going to survive. But he still has a humanity to him. He doesn't just shoot them when they're, you know, when they're, you know, we're not leaving unless you give us gas. Like, boy, I'm yeah. glad I wasn't in that position because <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I might not kill you, but I might shoot you in the kneecap or something. See how you like it then. <laughs> Here's the chapstick. Get out. But that was yeah. an that was an okay sequence, and he was he was a good character. And, and again, he, there and gone. So it's a bunch of uninteresting characters who run across interesting characters for brief encounters. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thumbs up the movie speaking, pretty much. Speaking of interesting characters, although I guess his character wasn't really that interesting because he doesn't have a character. So he only has like two lines. But his performance was great because I thought this was kind of funny. So yeah, all those all those people are obviously like they're all uh, I guess that entire group of people is basically uh, black and that's why he was only credited in the film as white man which I thought was kind of funny but he's, <laughs> he's the guy he's the guy at the end when they're leaving that's handing out weapons like he tries to give the professor a gun and he's like he doesn't want it uh. when he takes the, the bow and arrow uh, but he was but white man was played by Boyd Banks who is notable because he also played the butcher in Land of the Dead and he was also in the Dawn of the Dead remake and one of my favorite uh, 2000s horror films of all time, Jason X. So, uh, love Boy what Banks was he in Jason X? Up. Oh, man, I didn't actually write down the character name. I think he was probably a random guy who gets killed by Jason. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. That narrows it down. Yeah. So, just wanted to call him out. He's, you know, he's, he's a great actor who had two lines. But uh, anyone else we want to talk about? Oh, well, I guess we haven't talked about the um, alcoholic professor yeah yeah i think i think we we saved the best for last scott wentworth as maxwell i gotta say okay so yeah i guess he was actually he was definitely one of those people who he he was uh you know he's appeared in a lot of stuff in fact he actually had a small role small briefly recurring role in orphan black as well but he's primarily <laughs> a stage actor and i gotta say even though the character the way the, the character was written so like just such a cliche 
but I actually yeah. like his performance. It's, you know, it's very kind of a goofy character this way it's written, but I think he actually puts on a pretty, you know, he, he does what he can with a script, so to speak. I don't know. I was too distracted. I thought of him as cut rate Peter Lawford the whole time. <laughs> That's yeah. just what he seemed like to me. Like he was doing this like bad Peter Lawford impression. And it just, uh, no, it just seemed really amateurish to me. It just seemed, it would be fun if like the character at some point switched to like a normal accent and, and someone called him out on, on <laughs> yeah. using like that put on accent yeah. the whole time, because it seemed in universe, like a put on accent, mm. you know? So it's well, just that it, actually, yeah, that would have been funny. I mean, I, no, I, I found him entertaining. Uh, yeah, it is a little affected, but so was, so was the script. I mean, he's the one who got to say the, um, I mean, he was obviously the grown up in the bunch and maybe it's because I'm old, but I kind of appreciate that. He was like literally the only the only one of this group right. that I would go out and have a drink worth also because, you know, he knows his liquor. So he'd probably order a good one. Uh -huh. um, as long as you drink, as long as you drink bourbon. Yeah. What was the, what was the one line he had? Uh, uh, it's, it's not that people are waking up dead. It's that dead people are waking up. You know, I mean, it's that sort of line where it's like, he's, you know, you know, he was just practicing that in his head. It's like the, you know, the Sphinx from mystery men, but it was still okay. He was, he was, I mean, like I say, he was entertaining and, I thought it was pretty dopey that he turned down the gun. I don't care if you're uh, the president of Moms Against Gun Violence. If the dead are rising from the graves and the only way to put them down is a bullet in the head, oh, you no, no, arm the hell he, up. He took yeah, the bow he, and arrow. Remember? Yeah, and, and boy, yeah, he used he it to great effect. That's actually one yeah. of my favorite bits in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Whoop, little did, brother. Did. And, 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 and I'm willing to, I am willing to suspend my disbelief in that. I, it just, but... For the audience out there, just in case this does happen, and I always think there's at least a 5% chance. There's a reason why when they invented guns, everybody in every army on Earth stopped using bows and arrows. You know, they, yeah. Even even though ancient guns were crap, at the earliest opportunity, as soon as they had enough of them, everyone switched to guns. Mm -hmm. You know, a bow and arrow or a crossbow, sorry, um, whatever your yeah, guy name is. Daryl Dixon. Dead, I can't remember yeah. his name right <laughs> Daryl, thank you. Sorry, Daryl. In reality, terrible weapon. A katana is better. And you could argue, Bill, they also don't use katanas anymore. Well, shut up, all right? You know, imaginary Mich voice. Michelle in The Walking Dead yeah. uses a katana. Yeah, she's great. And and that would be, okay, against against zombies, I'll admit, uh, I, will, I will say, forget the guns. Go for the katana, only because the guns will bring more zombies to you. Because silencers don't work like they do in the movies. Don't ask me how I know this. But they're really... Guns are freaking noisy, even with a silencer on. It's like ridiculous. So katana would be a great weapon. But you know what? The katana you have that you bought at the uh, you know flea market, maybe yeah. it's got one zombie kill in it, and that's it. Now you got a broken handle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will say. Well, people are writing this all down. Long, long term, the the bow and arrow is maybe a smarter move because eventually you probably are going to run out of bullets. But yeah, this is like the the, the day after the dead mm -hmm. start rising and. I don't think they're thinking about that at this point. Oh, hey, here's another here's another tip. If you do shoot someone with a bow and arrow, you are not going to pin them to the wall where they are suspended over the, you know, no, arrows are not that strong. Uh, I, I think you you miss, you you don't understand just how strong cut rate Peter Lawford is. Yeah. He Maxwell. could get that pull, that pull on that <laughs> he, bow mm -hmm. and just, you know, he, he yeah. was, he was that, that tough. Now he did say something. Didn't he imply, I guess he was in the war? Or well, he, yeah, he, that's actually kind of funny because I was trying to estimate like, OK, he was maybe. Yeah, what 50, war? And this movie came out in like 2007. 
So what war? Yeah, I, I don't know enough. I mean, I'm assuming he was, it, his character was from I, Britain. I don't know enough about like. British I think the Falklands history. War, which I was not under yeah. the impression was fought with bows and arrows. But you know, That's... that would have been so cool if they showed up there with like a bunch of longbows. And yeah. they still managed to beat Argentina. That, that's got to hurt. Yeah, that's how, that's how they took out yeah. the penguins. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Well, he he does he does have a line about after that where he's like, yeah, uh, I learned that in archery school or something like that. He doesn't have like a throwaway line, but no, that's why he doesn't like right. guns. Archery school. That's why he doesn't like guns is because yeah, he he was like, oh, I've seen enough. You know, I remember in the war, I was trying to do the math on that as well. He's Green Arrow. Uh, yeah, pretty much. So is there any other member of the living that we have <laughs> missed that anyone wants to talk about? Or have we exhausted the living and we're ready to move on to the dead? I, I think so. It, it sounds I can't like think of anybody so. else very compelling. Yeah. Renee, do you have anything? You've been very quiet tonight. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to kick us off on our conversation about the dead with? Well, before we start all of that, I would just like everyone to know that this film was shot with a Panasonic HDX900 and an HVX200, and I have added music to scare you. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> How terrible is that? It's uh, terrible. Uh, no, your, 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 your parody does did, not work yeah. because you put too much yeah, emotion yeah, in right, There's too much acting ability there. <laughs> oh, the, the great thing about so I was... is, I, yeah, I can never tell when she's doing a bit. <laughs> oh. She was doing a bit? <laughs> Ah. Uh, the dead was referring to myself um yeah after, after brain movie. dead after watching this movie yeah i think my biggest note of the dead is that once again and zach knows this very well of me at this point once again i did not recognize greg nicotero as a zombie <laughs> oh which one was he he was the, the doctor the surgeon doctor dead zombie man he's when they go to the hospital and there's like they see him behind the curtain and then he comes out and attacks yeah. them Help us, please. I love, I love how I, I love how I say which one was he. Like, even though I have seen a hundred interviews with Greg <laughs> Nicotaro, if he were to assault me on the street and beat me to a pulp, and the cops said who did this, I'd be like, I have no idea. Right. I, I, yeah. Bill, you missed the opportunity to say, if he bit me, I wouldn't know. So yeah, yeah. Wouldn't know him if he bit you. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't know if he bit. No, it's funny. Yeah, we're we're the zombie surgeon. Yeah, we're good. we're rewatching uh, The Walking Dead right now, and yeah, he keeps showing up, and and Renee's always surprised to see him in the credits. So yeah, and I went back and watched it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's his forehead. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. So this is usually the section where we we either talk about individual zombies or we just kind of talk about the overall approach to the zombies because, like I mentioned earlier. Like Romero has the rules pretty early on in night and those rules didn't really mm -hmm. change, but he has kind of evolved what he kind of, you know, what the zombies can do and how they operate. Now in this one though, there, I don't think there's really any new evolution to them because they go back and this is supposed to be, you know, yeah. the night of. So pretty much every film since night, he's been evolving zombies and trying to do something new with them. But in this one, we're kind of just back to very simple shambling undead. And they're fresh. And they're fresh. They're, so we don't, we don't have the cool looking wrinkled and gnarly looking zombies because there hasn't been enough time for that. Well, I mean, I, well, I think in the first one though, the idea was that they were getting out of their graves, weren't they? It wasn't just people who had died on the surface. It was, so you could have had some old wrinkly ones on this one, I guess, but I guess they were slow. So getting out of the ground. See, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that's true. I don't think they were actually coming out of the graves. I think, I think um, it was, well, I think, well, I think it was the recently dead. 
because I, I I've always thought yeah. I've always assumed that like the zombie at the very beginning who looks like he's like gonna be buried. I always assumed that that was like right. maybe one of the like I don't know maybe he was at the funeral home or whatever, and you know he was in the mm-hmm. coffin, but yeah, he hadn't actually been buried. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I do want to mention though, like one of my like out of, there are a lot of things in this movie that I don't like, and I mentioned like the fact that it's just a bunch of bits. And the one bit that actually really bothers me, and again, this is kind of he's trying to be comedic, but there's the when they're watching the footage of the girl's birthday party, and then the the clown comes yeah. out and he like grabs the nose and it comes yes. off. Makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so a how is that? So that guy was there. Nope, that nope. guy was at the party. He was, yeah. like, I'm assuming a yeah. party clown. He somehow yeah. died. Okay, maybe he had a heart attack or something. But then he was immediately like decayed so much that he pulled off the nose and his nose came with it or something. Am I? <laughs> what does that make? Yeah. Am I wrong? Yeah, so what happened was they had hired a they had hired no a party sense. clown, but also what had happened was a another clown um, that was buried at the clown graveyard, but in an above ground, <laughs> uh, you know, tomb. He came back to, to life, and so he was rotting, but he had been buried in his clown outfit. And he actually caught and killed the party clown that was supposed to be there. So he shows up, and the father thinks it's the party clown, but it's really the clown that was the rotting, decayed one from the, the nearby clown cemetery. Okay, thank you for See, clearing they that really missed, they missed it. They missed a sure bet. They should have gone to the clown cemetery and the mausoleum opens up and about 50 clown zombies come out of it. Way more than could possibly fit into that mausoleum. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that, would have been, that would have been a good bet. I, you know, I see, I was thinking, I, I agree. I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, that that's cute, but it's it makes absolutely no sense. And they should have revealed that that was a bunch of uh, internet yoksters making fun of what they heard about, you know, the stuff that's on the news and everything and filming some fake footage. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, would would happen literally within 11 seconds of something like this actually happening, you know? Yeah, the, yeah. You know, TikTok would be full of, oh, man, I just took, I just shot this video outside my house. And, and you're like, you're watching, and you're like, dude, you, you use multiple angles. You're not even, you know, come on. Yeah. How stupid do you think I am? And then 11 million likes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, see, once again, I think you've hit on something that's even far more clever than anything in this actual movie because like right now, which I guess, you know, he couldn't have predicted how media works now because this was, I mean, God, there, there's a scene where they're like, uh, they have a page for their movie and it's on MySpace, which just tells you how dated this movie really is, even though it's only like a little over a decade old. <laughs> oh, MySpace. Oh my God. It's 15 yeah. years. It's, Did they ask Jeeves? It's 15 years old, Zach. Yeah. Oh, That's well, a lot more than a little over a decade. But yeah. A little over a decade. It's a decade and a half. Come on. Uh, there you go. But, but my, my point is like, even like nowadays, it's actually not entirely uncommon that someone will make something as like a parody or or they'll do something as like satire and then and then it will get like regurgitated on social media as something real and then people will keep posting it and right. then it has to be debunked. So I, I don't know. Like, grant, granted, yeah, I don't think he could have predicted that, but that would have been kind of actually a, a much more interesting side to this because the whole idea of them having to sort through what's real and like what the you know what's real from the media and the government but then also having to sort through like all this other input that uh was actually like getting back to the quote that Romero had about if there are you know 400,000 bloggers there are 400,000 potential lies and so yeah others okay let's see so there was the there was the cool looking uh burned up sheriff zombie yeah mm-hmm. he was pretty cool looking you know, yeah, nice yeah there weren't a lot of distinctive visual. ones there was the 
the lady who gets the 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 um defibrillator to the head but that was that that shitty cgi of her eyes popping or at least yeah. i thought that was yeah and, that... and, and also i object to the fact that that she then came back like mm -hmm. okay you've zapped her with enough electricity in her head that her eyes exploded but her brain is still working yeah. no no there was no need to double tap that one. yeah <laughs> these are the things that bother me and no one else in the world because they're stupid no i actually yeah i had the, i had the same problem i was like i'm i'm no i'm, I'm no doctor but yeah I figured if, if your brains, if you're, if something hits you hard enough that your eyes melt and pop out of your head, then it's probably going to do something to your brain. I had to rewind it. I had to rewind it to go. I was like, wait a second. Wasn't that the one they just killed? And I was like, what the fuck? That, yeah. that made no sense to me. Also, also, and just FYI, um, if defibrillators could really cause your eyes to explode out of your head, I'm pretty sure it would not be an effective way to jumpstart your heart. Bill, have you tried it? Way to guarantee this. Have you tried it? No. Okay. Well then, you know, no. <laughs> So yeah, two two other things I guess I did want to mention. First of all, one one other thing that really kind of bothered me, and this is actually like a super nitpick, and it's probably maybe getting like too deep into the lore. But so in previous movies, they've kind of established that the zombies will show up, kind of they'll kind of gravitate to places that they had an affinity hmm. an affinity for in in when they were alive. I don't understand why are there so many zombies around this kid's mansion at the end. Like, it was the party place, man. Oh, Come okay. on. Yeah, that yeah. was the party place. <laughs> I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on then. He's got a pool. Yeah, that's true. He's got a pool full of zombies. I, I do have one nitpick that goes back to the, the cop zombie. They yeah. come up, they're like, we're never going to get around this wreck. Where, where clearly you could just drive to the right yeah. of it. And then the, 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 the <laughs> cop comes yeah, up absolutely. and they're like, oh no. And then she just drives around to the right of it. So I'm like, drives around the right i'm like yeah. wait a second but we'll never get around that really you just did <laughs> I, that just bothered yeah. me i was just i we're nitpicking See, the thing I, when, I, I thought the same when, a, thing. when when the movie's not capturing your attention you're gonna nitpick you know that's yep. the thing mm -hmm. i think that's an indication i mean yeah the, the only other zombie i like like and, uh, yes bill the he probably wouldn't get pegged to the wall but i thought it was so great because it's a kid it's a little kid getting speared with us with mm -hmm. a with an arrow what more <laughs> could i want only other zombie I had to mention was the actually the very end, the very last scene where there's the woman kind of, I guess, like tied right. to her from her hair to the tree. Although that didn't <laughs> make a whole lot of sense because like they, they mm -hmm. took the time to hang her up and then I don't sure. know. Yeah. How'd they do that? How'd they do it? Was it was like I don't her know. hair was tied to a rope. <laughs> yeah. Like... Yeah. The, the hair was tied to the rope, but then the rope was like tied to the tree. They would have had, and there was no, it wasn't like a, like, you know, when you throw a rope over, it was like it was all tied up on the trees. So yeah. I was like, they would have had to get a ladder, right, and right. it would have been a whole thing. At least, at least a ladder. And they, they had her. They it is they had her tied up ahead of time to keep oh, themselves safe. Then they strung her up, strung her up. But then they kind of cut the the binds loose because it's more fun to have her flailing around. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Th this only makes sense if this was part of a TikTok challenge. <laughs> uh, you know, zombies of TikTok. And, and and these guys got a special award because it was dangerous and it took a lot of work, but a good payoff. I mean, they shot her and whole 90% of her body falls, but you know, she's still up there with her eyes darting around like, whoa. Um, so, and you know, you know, there would be zombie kill of the day if this were going See, off. there was because remember they're driving one. It was like one of those weird scenes like, hey, let's just film some random shit because I thought this would be fun to do. Where they're driving along and there's the the zombie hanging from the bridge and they smack into him with the with the RV and he just kind of sits there and kicks. Oh, yeah, so that was true. part of that same you know hang a zombie challenge. 
Well, no, I thought that was a guy who hung himself to, to oh, that's what I without too. stupidly, stupidly realizing, you know, it's like, hey, dude, oh, that that's probably what it was, I guess. You're going to be dangling there forever. That, uh, I guess that was what it was. Oh, well, never mind then. <laughs> Boy, do I have egg on my face. <laughs> Not as much as he does. Well, <laughs> well, is there anything else we want to talk about with the dead or do we want to move on? surprisingly not as many memorable zombies as i would have hoped for well see I, a lot of the other films you know night of living dead takes place in a single location mostly dawn of the dead it's a big location mm-hmm. but it's a single location day of the dead big location single location now land of the dead i haven't watched it in a long time you guys just did but I, I, that's that seems to be a much larger area right because that's that the the town or whatever fiddler's green or something yeah, yeah so the city yeah but this one, yeah, they're just bebopping all over the place. So you're not going to have like zombies following them around. Hey, look, there's the, you know, the Harry Krishna zombie didn't just tack onto the back of the, the RV and pop up again. <laughs> so, well, I think, I think you actually just gave me a pretty good segue, Paul, to our next oh. section. Yeah. Which is, uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess in this one, we're going to call it the Diary of Romero. And this is just where we kind of talk about any behind the scenes stuff. And also in the past episodes, we've used it as an opportunity to talk about setting. Which I did actually kind of want to touch on, but you actually pretty much just said what everything I had to say about that. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, no, it is, but it is kind of interesting. Yeah, the first one's a house, then a mall, then a bunker, and then yeah, the the third one's or the fourth one's a little more spread out, but it is still kind of like that city is very central. And I did kind of find that interesting that in this one he does not have any one central location since they're just kind of, you know, yeah, they're just kind of going around and meeting different people and killing mm-hmm. some of them. So yeah, I don't I don't have a whole whole lot to say about setting. Otherwise, like I said earlier, this was set in or this was supposed to be around in in and around Pennsylvania, but it was actually shot in Toronto because he could shoot a lot cheaper up there. And I guess that the kind of filmmaking industry up there was a lot better than it was in Pittsburgh at the time that he made this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't have a whole lot of behind the scenes stuff other than I did want to call out. I thought it was kind of interesting. John Harrison is listed as executive producer on this one. And he's a guy that has been involved in a lot of the other living dead movies and, and some of Romero's other movies just in general. He, I think he the first like screen. I think the, the first time he ever actually had anything, uh, any involvement in a movie was in Dawn of the dead as the screwdriver zombie. So kind of an interesting origin. And then he would actually go on to score creep show and day of the dead and he's still in the industry because he actually has a credit as the executive producer on the new Dune movie. So good for him. Oh, yeah. Wow. Only other thing I wanted to mention was the production design was by Rupert Lazarus. And I have nothing to say about any of that other than the production design was by a guy named Lazarus, which I thought was funny. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> name for a zombie yeah. movie. So I don't know. Does it? I mean, you know, yeah. I give I give credit, uh, you know. You're George Romero. You're trying to make a movie on a low budget. The structure of this makes sense. You've got a very limited set, but it's a good set, a big giant van, enough to hold people. It gives you a chance to have them sit around and talk without busting the bank or anything. And then, you know, they're mostly traveling at night. So we don't have, you know, that's pretty easy. Just find a back road to film on. And then they, you know, run across a few places. I mean, this, everything's fine because there's just, the di- you know, there's a lot of opportunity for dialogue. It just wasn't good dialogue. Romero was, was I didn't think Mar- Romero was a great screenwriter. 
he was a great man. He was a great filmmaker and, and you know, really cool ideas and stuff. But this, I don't know, this just feels like a misfire. Now I'm kind of dreading revisiting Survival of the Dead. Because uh, as I as I remember, I think I liked this one better than Survival mm. of the Dead. So oh, if that's oh, the case. Wow. This is gonna this is not gonna be fun. Oh, oh yeah. no. Um oh, I think actually yeah. actually it's gonna be really interesting because show of hands, has anyone other than Bill actually seen Survival? Yeah, yeah. me. So so yeah, I hated this movie so much I didn't mm. even watch the next one. So yeah, that's gonna be interesting. for the first time ever, three of us will be watching the movie for the podcast. So That'll be a fun discussion. So, yeah, does anyone else have any other behind-the-scenes stuff to talk about, or do we want to do we want to jump in the RV and move this podcast along, much like the characters in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, wow. Next section is a little section we like to call, or I like to call, legacy and franchise. Like we just said, I mean, this is the fifth film in the franchise in the series, and there would be one more. Because this movie had a pretty uh, pretty small budget. I mean, it was bigger than some of his other movies. But according to thenumbers.com, it had a budget of about $2.7 million. So this ended up making, again, according to thenumbers.com, a box office take of $5.3 million worldwide. And it also had DVD sales of about $5 million. So probably made a little bit of money. And that's why he got to make a sequel so quickly after. Does anyone mm-hmm. think this film... We, we mentioned the fact that Cloverfield, I guess, came out basically, I think, the same year? Or, yeah, I think it was basically the same year as, as this kind of came out. Does anyone think this has any lasting impact whatsoever on cinema at all? It's a no for me. I gotta say no. Yeah. I think it came yeah. out too late in the, uh, in the found footage thing to be anything other than, oh, and also... You know, the most you can say about it is found footage at that point had become a big enough thing that even George Romero decided to <laughs> hop in um, and and tell it just became a, a way to tell a low budget story. Yeah. But I just think there were way better ones out there to do. And and but we're all all of us were happy that he was making movies, you know. And I think we realized at a certain point that, you know, there was going to be diminishing returns. Who knows? Maybe the last one that he was working on would have been a return to greatness, but I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of, this movie did come out in kind of an interesting point in this cycle of found footage films because, like you said, I mean, found footage films were kind of originally a way for filmmakers to make a movie extremely cheaply. Like, you know, the Blair Witch Project, I think, had a total budget of something like $35,000, but this was released Mm -hmm. at a time when, Hollywood was making found footage movies, big budget movies masquerading as low budget movies, so to speak. Because, I mean, Cloverfield, I don't know what the budget was on that, but I guarantee it was, you know, tens of millions of dollars. So he he almost came in at kind of a weird time where people weren't, I mean, people were still doing the, the, the found footage thing on the cheap, but it was at a point where it kind of, I don't know, it, it got to the point where it was so mainstream that Hollywood was doing it. And he almost got overshadowed by that, I think. Yeah. I, you know, if I had to think of one problem with this movie, there's no, there's no urgency in this film. Like, like you've said, it's, it's just a series of vignettes. I, I feel like if it had taken them another day or two to get where they were going, it would have made no difference. You know, things just happen to these people. The only bit where, you know, that sort of where because of this, then this happens is the girl shoots herself. So they have to get her to the hospital. 
All right. So, I mean, that at least makes sense. And we have the urgency that maybe we can save her life and everything. But other than that, yeah, everything seems kind of passive here. That, that is actually kind of a really interesting point. I hadn't thought of that. And maybe that's actually the thing that was kind of striking me about this being so different from the other movies, because other than at the end where they they're at the house and they, they do kind of get into that safe room at the end. But every other movie has been about people in a single location basically trying to hold off the zombie horde, which is only more yeah. and more threatening. And this one, yeah, they basically, they can just drive away. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Night of the Living Dead is urgency almost from like from the five minute mark on right. <laughs> until the very end. It's It just never lets up. Dawn of the Dead, pretty much the same thing. I mean, you know, it's it's a day, all of the day kind of takes its time a bit, but still we know, we know where this is going and, and, you know, the, Things are falling apart around them and all. And yeah, this just maybe it was part of it having to go back and tell kind of a not so much, maybe not a prequel, but a what do you call it when you have a movie that's set at the same time as yeah, the kind first of a side movie. story? Yeah, side quote. I don't yeah, know. I don't quilt, think there's a word yeah. for that. <laughs> More like Nyquil for this one. <laughs> <laughs> It was oh, sorry, wow. in more ways than one. Yeah, I, I think I, I wonder if part of it is, you know, he's here he's playing in a format that he's not used to, which is which is the found footage. And uh, like you had kind of hit on that there's at this point, you would start having the big budget found footage films with there. You're 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 dealing with a big budget and you can do a lot of stuff with it. And the people who are doing the low budget found footage films are generally people who I would say are tend to be the newer filmmakers. Here's somebody who's an established filmmaker. And so instead of trying to figure out things and knowing how can I do this? He's, you know, I, I maybe that's it. I'm just trying to be charitable, I guess on, on why it just is so bad. It's just so forgettable. I mean, to me, if, if I had watched this and then you told me, Oh yeah, this was done by George Romero. I'm like, what he produced this right he produced this for some college students or something mm -hmm, he didn't mm -hmm. he didn't have anything to do with this did he yeah. it just it didn't feel like one of his films it to me it it honestly it felt like the kind of shitty generic zombie film that that kind of turned me off from zombie films where yeah. i got to the point where i got mm -hmm. zombied out was just oh they, they're cranking out another piece of shit that's not <laughs> but you know what i'm saying there, there's no hook yeah, to yeah. it there's nothing unique about it, and you can't even say, yeah. "Oh, it's a it's a fun little indie." film. I mean, it is tech. It's really an, it is an indie film because George always did, almost always did right. indie films. But it's not really an, even an indie film. It's you know, it's not it's people who are starting off in their career. So hey, maybe we'll do something better. No, I mean we've seen what he could do, and this was just uh, it was a bitter disappointment. I was just gonna say you're dead on because yeah, I think one of the things I had I'd noted about this movie was this doesn't feel like a George Romero movie. This feels like a movie that was made by mm. a bunch of people who grew up watching George Romero movies, but don't have any of his inspired talent. by yeah. George. Romero. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, look, but I want to, I want to give him credit for one thing. It, it bothers the crap out of me when I see filmmakers and this happens a lot to a lot, you know, it's, it's a young man's game. Not everybody's Ridley Scott where they, they've made some great movies, you know, start out making low budget movies, really cool and everything. God, you get bigger and bigger budgets, did some great stuff. And then for whatever reason, they fell out of favor, maybe had a couple movies that missed. And then, you know, years go by and you read an interview and it's like, you know, uh, I've been trying to put together some things and just haven't been able to raise the funds and dot, dot, dot. And, you know, but we're trying something now and they have some project that sounds really cool, but also sounds like really big budget. And obviously the studios aren't giving this person a big budget anymore 
And I always think to myself, the greatest movies you made were the ones at the very beginning that had no budget. Go do that again. There, there's, it, but so often, once the filmmakers get a taste of what it's like to make a movie in Hollywood with all those people and union sets and someone who fetches coffee for you instead of having to make it yourself and a craft service table that's not just pizza and ramen noodles, they can't go back. They can, it doesn't even seem to occur to them that they could go back and you know do an Indiegogo campaign that could raise more money than I ever could and have a minuscule, tiny budget that's still bigger than the one they had back then. And he's like, well, things have gotten more expensive back then, especially if you've been to the grocery store lately. But true, but also the technology has gotten phenomenally cheaper. So, you know, you don't have to shoot on 35 millimeter. In fact, nobody does anymore. So things have got, you could still make that movie if you wanted to. And George Romero, Maybe, maybe the returns weren't great, but at least he was still out there making movies. You know, he did that. He cut back and made small movies that he could get the funds for. So full props to him, man, yeah. for doing that, for not just sitting back and waiting for, you know, the perfect. The perfect is enemy of the good. And he, he was still out there. He loved making movies. Yeah. Maybe this wasn't the most inspired thing, but. You know, he said it's the enemy of the good, but this wasn't good, though. That's the no. I'm serious. I'm not being. I'm making a joke. No, yeah, I, know, you know, I know. If if you no, know, so but you don't know that until you're. Done. No, I know. It's just it's it's just more of a disappointment. It's sort of like oh, you know, it's it's obvious to us too that the script is bad, but you know, in his mind, the way he saw it, he had a vision where the people were saying that these lines and everything, and it it came out right. But then when you actually shoot it, you get what you get, and in the harsh reality it doesn't always work. I mean, no one sets out to make a bad movie. And yet many great filmmakers, really some of my favorite filmmakers have made movies that were terrible. And you, you just wonder at what point did you think this would work? Because I'm looking at the results and this just seems misbegotten from, from the get go, but it, it couldn't have been because I, I, someone who's capable of making the movie that was so good should have known that if they saw this, if they, if someone could go back in time and show them, this is what it's going to look like. Though, oh, we'll do something else. Yeah, but I, I feel I feel like these movies are yeah. a bit of a paradox because if he hadn't made these movies, we would be saying, "Man, I wish I wish he had made another one." Even though Land wasn't great, I wish he had made another one after that. I was mm. actually even thinking, like, because I mean, there was I think uh, Survival was I think he made Survival about eight or nine years before he passed away. And I even found myself, even mm -hmm. while I was thinking about how much I hate this movie, I, I even found myself thinking, wow, man, I actually wish he had made like one more just because there's always that hope that, oh, yeah, yeah maybe it was like a bad phase. And maybe he re he finds his, you know, he finds his footing again or, you know, he because there are there are examples. There are a lot of examples of a lot of filmmakers from the 70s and 80s whose films I love and who I don't think have made a good movie in you know 20 years, if not more. Mm -hmm. But then you have people like George Miller who are, you know, Fury Road, arguably his right. greatest film in a 30 year career. So, or a 40 year career. So yeah, it's, it's always tough to say, Oh yeah, I wish this filmmaker would just stop because you're like, Oh, but what if they, what if they, they find that magic again? And, uh, and they actually like, they, they can go out on a high note. So, you know, yeah. I, I had actually an epiphany. So, you know, when Bill was mentioning the uh -oh. script, I think I know what the problem was. So they filmed this in Canada. So it was clearly a language barrier. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> barrier with the the Joss Wayden excuse. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Well, I actually Sorry have about one. That. 
no, no, that's fine. I'm gonna leave that in. <laughs> I actually have one more little section here before we get to our final rankings and rantings, which is I kind of want to have a brief meta discussion here, which we usually don't even go into other people's reviews or like how how movies were reviewed when they came out. But I did I did have to go back and look, and I was actually really surprised. This was not a like universally praised film, but I was surprised at how many people gave this very, very favorable mm. reviews. So mm. I just wanted to, uh, these are just a couple that I noted of like people who at the time gave this movie kind of like a high score. So and these aren't actually people that I'm familiar with. So I'm not saying that these are like the, the most repeatable like critics, but these are people who are obviously like published critics. So uh, James uh, Barrara Donnelly, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I'm butchering that name, of Real mm. Views, gave this movie a three out of four and said, not only the most satisfying motion picture Romero has made in a long while, but oh. one of the best of his career. Whoa. And, yeah, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly, wow. Kelly Vance of East Bay express says Romero's latest Staggerfest is diary of the dead. Not the best, but certainly far from the worst of his series of accounts of an epidemic of dead people coming to life to eat the living, which I find insane because. So what did they think was worse? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I mean, so, and, and I was actually like going, going back and like looking at some of the reviews and some of the interviews. And I, I, I don't know. It's kind of weird to me because is this an, like, and then like on metacritic.com, this movie has a 66, which probably doesn't sound like very mm. high, but metacritic does. It's not like the, the scores on there are usually, like that's probably more than the Eternals got. Uh, oh God, well, I'm sure it is, but no, a uh, 66 on Metacritic actually isn't bad at all. So I was just very impressed, like how many people gave this good reviews, and I'm wondering, like, hmm. I don't know, is it was it a, an example? And, I, and this is going to come off as like really mean, so I apologize. But and it sounds like we're shit talking him a lot. We're not. I mean, I love George Romero. We all love George Romero. But yeah. was this an example of people? kind of being overly favorable but, you know basically you don't want to badmouth the you know the 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 elder statesman so you have to be, say nice things or you have to i don't know give give a review you might not otherwise i mean is that am i crazy here that to think that maybe some of these people were doing that i don't know because I'm, I'm looking I at assume. i was looking oh go ahead renee go ahead oh no i'm sorry i would just say that's that's what i would assume is happening <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, one thing I was thinking, I was looking at, at you, you know, where you like said the Metacritic reviews and it's not like, you know, Eastern Podunk is rating at 100 percent. It got 100 on on Premier Variety, yeah. like 90 LA <laughs> Weekly, 90 Rolling Stone, 88. So these are not, you know, you know, no nothing little papers that we're doing this. I part of me wonders, I mean, it has been 15 years. And even though 2007, there had been plenty of found footage and there had been plenty of zombie films. I wonder if it did have more of an impact at the time. Um, if we had seen it in the theater, well, Bill, you did, you saw it in the theater, right? I'm assuming no, you're not no, in the theater, but like, uh. but if you saw it like at that, well, you saw it at the time and said you weren't impressed with it though. Right. At the time. Yeah. Not super, but, but I, I, I didn't dislike it as much as I dislike it. Right. Now. And I, I, I think, I think. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm wondering if it's, if it's just in the subsequent, or should I say subsequent, to, to go throw back to the previous <laughs> yeah. episode. See, I listen, I listen. But uh, yeah. anyway, the um, in, in those intervening 15 years, I wonder if we've just had so many more 
uh, uh, found footage films that were done better, and so many more zombie mm-hmm. films that were done better. It and and horror itself has changed in terms of the the kind of uh, horror films that are out there. So I wonder if it just had more of an impact back then than it does now. In other words, well, it, it, I think I think that's counterpoint. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. counterpoint. Like Go like ahead. I said, I've seen this movie twice, and there's a reason I've only seen this movie twice. Yeah. And one and the one of those viewings was last week. And when was the first? The one? first one was shortly after it was released. Yeah. Okay, so you saw it back yeah, then yeah, as yeah. well. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think I think part of it too is the the social commentary part, which now seems to be seems to loom so large in this film, is old hat. I mean, we do nothing but talk about the media and and you know practically a civil war going on on the influence of social media on politics and news and everything else it's social media spends most of the time talking about social media i'm tired of it and this film is kind of not so much the social media but you know it's it's shoving that in there this seems like a very mild um repeat of stuff where we've heard way too many times since then so i i know this there's no time this is not one of those timeless films neither living dead's yeah. timeless dawn of the dead timeless day of the dead i think you know again holds up they they were filmed a long 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 time ago but they you know except for the black and white aspect of night living dead which works real well they don't feel necessarily like they took place a long long time ago and that you can still relate to them you can't relate to yeah this. I, I i was I, I thought the exact same thing when i was thinking about this i was like night of the living dead has held up better than this film which came out 15 years ago versus whatever mm-hmm. 40 45 years ago and that just kind of blows my mind I don't know. Renee, you've been very quiet as always. Do you have any thoughts on the enduring cultural significance of this film? <laughs> uh, oh, wow. I, uh, I know the answer. I just, I'm just asking to get you to talk more. Uh, no, no. I'm okay. just uh, <laughs> it is interesting though. You know, the thought that, you know, it could have uh, been received a little bit differently, you know, back then. So just kind of curious. I do wonder what I would have thought of it back then if I would have, been quite as annoyed by it i probably would not have been but yeah i you know i will say so i'd mentioned this um that i had been watching really really bad found footage movies like pretty much all week and it's just one of those things that sometimes i'll just throw a movie on in the background Mm. just for a little background noise and so i typically will go to like pluto or my favorite tubi and just you know, really just kind of dig in for something that just looks really, really bad, but like not bad that like we would watch it on a Saturday night bad, but like really, really bad that I just, just need noise or something like that. And, uh, so I've been watching a lot of those. So when I watched this movie, it honestly, it just fit right in. So it really didn't strike me as like, wow, this movie is terrible. Um, and then I thought about it and it's like, oh, yeah, this movie's terrible. Like, you know, for because you would think George Romero. Yeah. yeah, right. So, oof, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah, but those, I don't know. Yeah, those other people I think are just crazy. And I do wonder too, like, would I have, would I have thought differently of this film if George Romero was still alive? I don't know. Am I one of those people? Maybe I am. I don't know. I'd probably be a lot nicer about it. I mean, no offense to him, you know. Yeah, uh, I don't think he would be listening, even if he was still alive. But are you sure? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I also, I just wanted to p- point out one other thing about the genre because I had to go and look it up. I, I couldn't remember, but the, I, has anyone seen Wreck? Yeah, yeah. 
Wreck oh. came out in 2007. Oh, Wreck. Oh, yeah. Wreck. Wreck yeah. yes. came out the yeah. same year this came out. That is still a freaking oh, amazing, boy. terrifying, oh. highly effective found footage film. And that actually kind of blows my mind. Yeah. I've never put two and two together that these movies basically came out the same year. And one of them is phenomenal. Oof, that's that's an, that's a sad comparison because Wreck is, is a great film. Yeah. Have you seen the remake? Uh, no. Have you seen the, the Americanized no. version yeah, of Wreck? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The one where they give away the ending like yeah, uh, in, in the, the trailer. Was, yes. Yeah. They literally they literally <laughs> the give away the ending on the poster in the well. trailer. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. On the, uh, just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So oh. I thought that was kind of interesting because yeah that was i i watched both of those i watched wreck and this when uh probably within a year of them being released and yeah i have i have uh, i i liked wreck much more at the time and i still like it much more so i think that that says something about the you know how enduring films are and i will i mean granted yeah sometimes you come around to movies and sometimes you know it takes a while mm -hmm. for movies to grow on you but i don't think this is ever i don't i think i could watch diary of the dead every year for the rest of my life and uh yeah the only effect it would have on me is hoping that i have uh i would have a shorter life so that i wouldn't have to watch diary of the dead again anyways wow. speaking and you'd of, come back and be forced yeah to watch. yeah exactly yeah. Oh, God. real true hell well i think it's pretty obvious what our thoughts are on this but it's probably a good time to wrap this thing up uh not unlike ridley was wrapped up as a mummy in diary of the dead and get on to our final oh. section, which is our rantings and rankings. This is just where we kind of give our final thoughts, and then we're going to slap a rating on this thing. We do it out of five VHS tapes. So that is our, uh, that is kind of our, our metric. So I don't know. Let's, let's start with, again, Renee, you've been very quiet. I think I, I think I know everyone's thoughts at this point, but I'm interested <laughs> to hear what your actual mm -hmm. like final thoughts and rating is. So let's go to you uh, first. So I think this movie could have been better if it was just a little bit simpler. If they took out a few of those little, you know, side scenes, if they had somebody come in and work on the dialogue, that was gigantically terrible. So if they could have fixed that, honestly, I think it was, it's not irreparable. I think they could have done something with it. It just needed a little refining. It needed Bill to come in and do a little editing on the script and maybe this <laughs> would have worked. Oh, what you. movie doesn't though to be fair yes oh that is, oh, that wow. is a very good point yeah it was it was weird and it was some parts honestly a, a lot of it was very just kind of confusing there was one part you know and i didn't mention it earlier so you know at the very end when they show like the redneck guys shooting the zombies so the girl the narrator says this was the last thing that jason downloaded before he died when did he like did he just download it and not watch it or because he kind of went into the whole thing, as far as I know, like not really knowing what was going on, right? And then all of a sudden, but he had a video on his computer the whole time of these guys shooting zombies. So I don't know, that part felt a little mm. confusing to me. Yeah, so I don't know. In the ending, it was just, I could see, you know, I, I could see what George was trying to do with like the state. I felt like it was more of the state of media as a whole kind of a thing. And uh <laughs> the end was just so silly. And did you notice when they shot the zombie lady in half? She had like a little tear running down her eye. God, no, yes, I missed a little that. Tear of blood. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, oh yeah. yeah like, but, you know, as of right now, and like you said, with everything else that is available right now, even compared to his career, his line, I gotta give it a two. Two VHS tapes. 
That's uh, I, I did I I did not notice the tier. Mm. That's a uh, that's I'm actually gonna get it. Oh yeah, that's that's a detail that sticks with you. I'm gonna give that. I'm gonna watch it again. Yeah. That I I thought it was cute. I mean, uh, you know, at that point, uh, I'm clutching at straws. Yeah, uh, but yeah. It's there. I'm gonna give it an extra tape just for that. It's so. for left eye. Anyways, right. yeah. <laughs> well, let's go. I think Renee, you said you've never seen this before, right? Yeah. I've not. All right. Well, let's go to someone who had watched it before. And Bill, why don't you kind of give us your final thoughts on this and and tell us how many tapes you would rate? I, it. So I, I thought I was going to be the only one to even give it two, but I'll give it two. That's because I think it's a one, but I'm going to give another one because it's George Romero. He instantly gets you know an upgrade. I mean, like I said, I, I actually liked it better. I thought I liked this better than maybe I just saw it at a bad time or something. I don't know. It did not. It does not reach me now. And the the flaws, the, the lack of characters and everything just seems more obvious. You know, it's so I mean we've kicked this one off. It's a it's a George Romero movie. He he got to, he got to make some make another movie. It's got some elements that I do like. I like the action. I like some bits and everything. But really, if like like Paul was saying, if this weren't a George Romero movie, I wouldn't be looking for things to say nice stuff about. They just, I would just like, okay, zombie movie number 50 for this year on to the next one. It, it, uh, there's just not enough there. I, I know he, I'll give him credit for trying to say, trying to, you know, score some points and do something more than just a story about people fighting the zombie epidemic, which he could have done, but he's already done that. They're, they're only letting him make zombie movies, but he wants to have a reason to get out of bed. He's an old man at this point. He, making movies is not easy you know he wants to say something so he had he had a thought he had uh, something that he wanted to say i just don't think it really worked and it just fell apart at the screen at the script stage um, just need better characters more like i said more urgency you know something to have this happen it was just too episodic and you know just not a success and and I, i'm trying to think the person who said yeah, it's not the best Romero zombie movie, but it's not the worst. It's like, hello, this is the fourth one. Yeah. We're talking night, dawn, and day. Uh, which of those did you think was worse than Diary of the Dead? Uh, land, land as well, but that was still... Has oh, that's true. Land, yeah. land. Um, yes, Land is still better than yeah. this one. At least it has Dennis Hopper. I mean, yeah, Jesus. And John, right. Le John Leguizano. Yeah, John Leguizano, who's now everybody's favorite from Encanto. You know, that's uh, it's some good stuff there. But yeah, this... You know, we, we we were criticizing the actors. The actors have all gone on to better things. So, thank goodness. And it, you know, like Renee said, it is true. Years go on, you get better. But one thing I've noticed in a lot of you know Romero's movies, the actors that are in it, this is the only thing they ever did, hmm. or, or very little. You know, the yeah. only other th other thing they did was other Romero movies. They didn't go on to better things, even though they they came off better than the actors in this one did. But I don't know that they really could have done very much with what they were given so it's it's not what we were hoping for but it was it was i guess what it needed to be so that he could film on a very low budget and tell a story that he was interested in telling but it does not for me at least and i guess this seems to be the majority opinion here it doesn't hold up if it held up at all that time has gone <laughs> So two out of two out of five. Yeah. Well, let's go back over to someone who did not have kind of a preconceived notion about this. So, Paul, first viewing, 
What are your thoughts on Diary of the Dead? So again, I think a, a bitter disappointment. Um, while I was watching it, I told Renee, I said, I messaged her, I said, I, I honestly would rather watch Beyond Thunderdome than this. And, I, and actually, after our discussion of Beyond Thunderdome, I really would like to watch it again. Um, but no, no, really, because, Zach, I think you had some points in that going way back to when we did that one. That one, I, you know, even if, even if, he, if you hadn't made those points, there's at least a story there. There's at least <laughs> characters there. There's at least shit happens there. Yeah. This like, it's like, what? Huh? <laughs> so, yeah, this uh, a bitter disappointment. And I know, Bill, you gave it an extra star because of Romero. I actually have to take away some because I know he can do oh, better. Okay. I know he can do better on a low budget. I know he can tell a story. I know, you know, I know at least he can tell some sort of story. I mean, his dialogue's always been a little creaky and things like this, but but he could still tell a story. This there was nothing there. So originally, I was going to give it two stars, but because it's Romero, I really have to drop it down to one and a half because it's just mm -hmm. such a disappointment. So there you go. That's the long and short of it. <laughs> and I, yeah. I'd, I'd rather not have to watch it again. I, I was I was actually in the same boat as you, Paul, because yeah, you, you know, normally if, if especially if it's like a first time filmmaker or like an amateur filmmaker, I'm like, I'll, I'll I'll give them kind of the benefit of the doubt because you know they're still learning their their craft or whatever. But yeah, it's really hard for me to look at this and look at George Romero's career. I mean, at this point, he had been making films for what forty years. And yeah, he, I just, I, I just couldn't help but think that he should have known better. I mean, I think I don't have to add to anything that you guys said, because I think you've said it all. I mean, the script's bad. The story's just not there. The direction is, I don't even, I can't even say anything about the direction because I think there's nothing really, not a whole lot to direct, but I will say, yeah, I, I, I was actually struggling. I was actually struggling with how low I should go with this. I will say <laughs> I, I actually probably gave this an extra half star just for George Buza. So one and a half for me as well. And I've, I've <laughs> put these, I put these scores into the video store junkies algorithm and it spit out an average score of 1.75 for this one. So by the way, the video store junkies mm -hmm. algorithm is just the calcul the windows calculator, but um, yeah. So 1.75 by far, I actually want to go back and listen to some of those episodes where we were talking about movies that we knew we were going to hate, because mm -hmm. I think this might actually be the lowest score we've ever given a movie. I can't, wow. I can't remember what we scored the sisterhood at. I don't know if anyone else remembers. Yeah. yeah. But that's a different rating there. So. <laughs> true. True. So yeah. 1.75. Yeah. I, it sounds like we're all kind of aligned that uh, we were disappointed, but Hey, Guess what? George Romero has one chance to redeem himself because even though we've been talking about the Living Dead films for, I think, almost half a year at this point, there's still one more to go because after Diary, shortly after Diary, actually, even after, even when Diary was, I think, in post production, he was already talking about doing one more, which was, of course, uh, I think it was 2009. Yeah, 2009, Survival of the Dead, which is kind of a return to form in the sense that luckily he gave up the uh, the found footage stuff. But we'll see how that works yeah. out for him because three of us haven't seen it. And from what I've heard, uh, Bill, the one person who's seen it doesn't seem to be a huge fan. Yeah, well, let, let me let me preface that just yeah. that um, I think when I, when I saw it, I kind of realized this is probably going to be the last one. And I was hoping he would go out with a bang. And, and it, George is the one making the movie. So he gets, it, this was... I'm not giving anything away. This is kind of like, I, you know, you get near the end of your life, you're a director. I always wanted to make a Western and I never had the chance. 
and they only let me make movies with zombies in it, so I'm going to make a Western with zombies. Now, and by Western, I don't mean like, you know, set back in the old times and everything, but it's got that vibe, that Western vibe, which can work. There's a lot of cool movies that are out there that are not technically Westerns, but they have that aesthetic, like the whole show Justified, you know, which is not a Western, but it kind of has that feeling to it and is also one of the greatest shows ever so i'm gonna go back and watch it again i think i felt bad about it before because my expectations were a little too high uh and the other only other thing i'll say is the thing that i took away from it is that this felt very much influenced kind of weird way i felt like this film was influenced by um walking dead which is weird because walking dead was so obviously, uh, not to say influenced, it was just it existed because of George Romero. Now, I don't know if the timing works out on that, because for all I know, Walking Dead, the show came out after Survival of the Dead. I'm not good with dates. I don't know. Yeah, the, the show was after. The show The show premiered a year after. Oh, did it? Yeah. But the comic, it really the comic had been out for years. Well, it feels to me after watching, uh, uh, you know, I wonder why they never, and maybe they did and he just said no. Why did they never offer George a chance to direct an episode? Oh yeah, yeah. Pro- pro- probably just because he wasn't a like he, he wasn't really a a, a a TV guy. And after sure. after Darabont got fired and they cut the budget, pretty much everyone working on that show yeah. they, they were basically TV people. So I'll still bet the budget was bigger than the one for uh, Survival of the oh, Dead. Probably, but just just seems. I mean, also you know you'd have a ratings dynamo. You know, people, people, even although I can't imagine too many George Romero fans weren't watching the film, it just would have seen, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes Hollywood and everything, they miss sure bets, sure things. And it might be, it might well be they offered it to him and he said no. I mean, that would not shock me at all. It's like when they made Doctor Strange, I it boggles my mind that they did not track down Steve Ditko in his little studio in New York somewhere and just throw some money at him. I mean, obviously he he was, you know, he was Steve Ditko. He wasn't going to take any money from them for creating Doctor Strange because he was an interesting fella. But they could have hired him as a consultant or just some bogus reason to throw a few shekels at this guy <laughs> while he's, you know, miraculously still alive in his 90s or so for creating this amazing character. Just, just so you could say you did it. I mean, we're talking about the cost of the craft service table for one day on Doctor Strange would probably be more money than Steve Ditko saw. And I'm saying that without any knowledge whatsoever. I've heard rumors that actually Ditko was rolling in dough from sources nobody knows about. Maybe there's some fans out there who were secretly having him draw you know, Spider-Man episodes just for them, which is what I would have done if I were a millionaire. Yeah. I just want to put that right out there. I would have my own Spider-Man comics issue whatever strictly for me <laughs> and i would let my friends read them as i watched to make sure they didn't walk away with the pages yeah i, I will i will say that i mean i, I actually kind of wonder even if they had offered romero to direct an episode of walking dead i actually wonder if he would have taken it because he doesn't seem like like he's he doesn't seem like the sort of creator who's happy being a hired gun yeah so yeah yeah but yeah well bill's gonna go mm-hmm. rewatch survival and the three of us are going to watch yep. it for the first time. And if you'd like to tune in in two weeks to listen to that episode, I think you should probably go watch it as well, because then you can follow along with us and you can tell us the things you agree with, the things you disagree with. And maybe you can, uh, you know, 
you can you can laugh at us as because maybe you're better at remind uh, maybe you're better at remembering character names than we are but you know or maybe survival has <laughs> more characters that we can actually remember than this one so we'll see so tune in in two weeks we'll have survival that'll be man it feels like the end of the era because we we've been recording these episodes for a while now we kind of tapered off at the end of the last year because people had a bunch of stuff going on so i think it has been almost half a year that we've been talking about the living dead film so It'll be the end of the era for George Romero and the end of the era for this podcast. So tune in. It'll be fun. Hopefully we'll have hopefully we'll have slightly nicer things to say about it. And in the <laughs> meantime, if you like zombies, and speaking of The Walking Dead, because we've been talking about it, mentioning it a couple times here. If you like zombies and if you like if you'd like to go back and rewatch the first season of The Walking Dead, or actually you don't have to do that. You can just tune in to our new podcast, Cult of the Cathode Ray. We're kind of obsessed about TV, just as obsessed as we are about movies sometimes. And we've been going back and watching The Walking Dead season one. And we've been doing a whole episode breaking down every single episode of the show. And by we, I mean Renee and myself. So we talk about each episode. We're going to have six episodes in the first season of that podcast. And we're going to get really granular like we do on movies. So again, that's Cult of the Cathode Ray. You can go to cultofthecathodray.com. Or you can just look it up, Cult of the Cathode Ray, on your favorite podcast provider. Probably whichever one you're listening to this podcast, you can find that one. And you can hear us talk about Walking Dead for probably uh, probably about seven or eight hours worth of content once we're done with the first season. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. check that out. Yeah, it's good. It's uh, Believe it or not, we like to talk a lot. So that's all I have. Does anyone else? Bill, Where is? I think there are other places people can find you. Uh, gruesomemagazine.com, uh, decades of horror, the seventies and eighties. We're, let's see, we're, we just did Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. We're about to do Andy Warhol's Dracula and from beyond. And then I had to pick one. I think the other one I picked for the next seventies was, uh, a boy and his dog, Harlan Ellison's short story that was made into a interesting film. And, uh, what else, what else is going on? I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to say, Hey, you can go see me at Mysticon, but that just got canceled. So it doesn't look, I don't see any real conventions on the horizon until summertime when con Carolinas and congregate, maybe dragon con. Um, we'll see. Let's hope, keep our fingers crossed. Cause every time we, th I think, you know, conventions are opening up again, some new variant comes along and knocks us down. But I hope everyone's staying healthy, um, doing what they got to do. It's um, it is rough out there. It, it, one one positive is yeah, one positive though is bring everyone down. Oh, here. No, no, I got a positive. <laughs> one positive, you know, you What's know that? what Greek letter comes after Omicron, don't you? It's pi. <laughs> it's pi. Mm, pi. COVID <laughs> pi. Yeah. COVID pi. I was gonna say, yeah, people should stay safe and honestly they should just stay home and listen to our podcast. So Yeah, you know, that's the safest thing. You cannot catch a virus through a podcast. Yes. I've yes. I've checked the numbers and the research and uh I think I think I'm on pretty solid ground here. Well, you know, you used to not be able to get a computer virus through email and now you can, so you never wow. know. It could change. Well, speaking of viruses, yeah. Paul, do you have anything else to plug? Uh, I, don't know I don't know what that segue is what was about. Whoa, I apologize. <laughs> Oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, oh. no, no, right. no, nope, no other podcast. <laughs> okay, great. Renee, nope. anything else? Anywhere, anywhere else people can find you? Uh, no, but I totally sign off on what you just said about Cult of the Cathode Ray. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Everyone should watch it. It's a lot more fun than watching 
The Walking Dead, or at least <laughs> Wait, what? No. <laughs> at least we'll, in the we'll later the seasons. Yeah, we'll uh, yeah season. this is the good season. Um, we'll get. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into a few seasons that are. Uh, our conversations will be much more entertaining. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the only place you can find me. Uh, otherwise, I'm on my couch, and good luck with that. So yeah. Yes. Please don't try to find Renee on our couch. That would be please. Yeah, please. Anyways, <laughs> I think that's it from us. So unless anyone else has anything else, I think we can say goodnight. I think, uh, I think that the owner of this video store is turning off the lights and trying to suggest that we should leave. So <laughs> we should probably do that before we get for life. So let's do yeah. that. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, everybody. Now. You gotta know that this might be bad. I'm trying to get home to my family, okay? Don't bury Dad! The shooting head! People start running out of food, water, gas. They're gonna start shooting at each other. Trust somebody. What would you do? Kill us? I think about it. Maybe one of them got in already. You're saying they're all dead. Yes. This is a hospital. There's nobody here. This is a diary of cruelty. Come on, before we get our asses shot off. I can't do this anymore. Every time we walk in somewhere, somebody dies.